You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. My name is Chris Spangle, and I am sitting in my living room. I'm not on the road anymore. I just walked in the door from the Libertarian Party National Convention, and I had an absolute blast with everybody, with all of our listeners that came out. Uh, Jeff Mata, Ryan Graham, uh, Kristen, Reinhold, Michael Schulteis, although I will get to Michael later, because Michael trolled me so hard while I was on the airplane. It's epic. So I'll tell you that story here in just a moment. Uh, so so I just had a great time at the convention, and it w- one of the best things about this particular convention that I found was the... <sighs> Here's the thing about being online and being at something like Porkfest or a convention. It's very easy to be rude online. It's very easy to dismiss people or talk smack. But when you're in front of their face and you have to deal with them on a human level, it's much different. And you can kind of look them in the eye and then turn away or pretend that you didn't see those people. Um, but you know what I what I didn't do... Uh, this convention was that basically um you know i had no no plans for content going into this because i really looked at my role this week as a journalist as a commentator and i'm deeply influenced by my friend abdul who is an active participant in local politics here in indiana and indianapolis uh, you know, in a in an objective, fair way, and uh, much to the chagrin of other journalists, uh, a fairly it's not unethical what Abdul does, but Abdul's very engaged in and having conversations with people about what's going on, and so I just decided, you know what, I'm going to kind of do the Abdul model, and you know, I'm friends with everybody from all the different caucuses and all the different sides, and some people I'm not friends with, and. I made a point of trying to go up and talk to some of those people. Uh, and what Abdul does is he goes and he just tries to understand what's actually happening. And what other journalists do is they show up to something like the convention with a preconceived notion of what the what the narrative is going to be. And, and I've seen it time and time again over my 15 years in politics and media. If, if you had Jim Acosta or some reporter covering the National Libertarian Convention... They would show up, and this happened in 2016 with the Gary Johnson campaign, and even people like Reason Magazine or, you know, they do it. They show up with the narrative already kind of written, and they're going to bend the facts to that narrative. Instead of just kind of showing up with a blank slate, observing what's happening, talking to a bunch of different people, and getting a feel for what's actually happening. So, for instance, if I wanted to... To take the narrative that the Libertarian Party is far- falling apart and that it is nothing but infighting. And, you know, I've talked about this on the program. I've said these very words, and a lot of that is true. There was some stuff that happened at this convention that was definitely infighty and uh, inappropriate and, you know, speaks to that concept of the LP being nothing but drama and there are those little small events that do happen. But once you actually step away from just like being a wallflower and sitting in the back and start talking to active participants and 
engaged delegates, you you start to see a completely different picture of how the Libertarian Party is operating. And what I want to do when I go to these things, and you know, my my eventual goal is to do we are, li- we are Libertarians full time, and you know, when a presidential campaign comes around travel to an Iowa or to the national conventions and give you a, an accurate perspective. So this is a test case. Uh, so I will provide uh, links and all, all my commentary that I wrote on Facebook uh, for this convention. So you can check that out as well as photos, but also these podcasts. Um, I think you're going to come away with a different view of how the Libertarian Party works if you listen to them all the way through. Uh, and I was surprised, quite frankly, at the amount of unity that exists within the party. And uh, I'll talk a little bit about that at the end when I talk about you know some of the winners and losers of this convention. And there weren't a lot of losers. Uh, there were a lot of people who made really good impressions because this delegation, for whatever reason, was just kind of ready to listen and very engaged with what was being said. Uh, and, and I think it's because, to be quite honest, there were a lot more millennials at this convention than boomers. And if you were to go back to 2010, 2012, and those conventions that I attended, it, it was a lot of people who had been involved in the party for 20 or 30 years. And it's not a boomer thing necessarily. It's just that when you've been involved in an organization for 20 years, you are very definite on what you think works and what you think, uh, how you think things should go, and in protecting uh, the things that you personally have been investing in over 20 years. Uh, and let's be honest, politics changes very quickly now, and there are a ton of new people. There are, a tr- I mean, I don't have an official number, but they asked everybody to stand up at one point if it was their first convention, and it looked like half the room. Like, it was it was a ton of new people. And I've got to give credit especially to Joshua Smith, who ran for chair, and Michael Heiss, who started the Mises Caucus, because as you hear in these interviews uh, that we did in the first part specifically, they brought most of the new people, and it was the biggest percentage of new people that I've really experienced in the four or five conventions that I've been to. I say four or five because I still, I think it's, so I've been to St. Louis, I went to Columbus, no, I didn't go to Columbus, I went to say, yeah, it's four, it's four, okay. So, you know, like the 2012 convention, as we talk with Travis Irvine, uh, it was just really brutal, it was a really toxic, brutal convention that, and 2016 was as well where a lot of wounds didn't heal. And I feel as people are leaving this convention, there's much more unity. I mean, you take that Matt Keneal from the first episode and you listen to that and you go, okay, he's not a total whack job. He just has different, differing opinions. He's, he's, he was doing things strategically uh, to play politics. Uh, you may not agree with his method, but he didn't seem crazy to me. But if you read him online, oh, that guy's nuts. You know, and so I want to start with uh, a little bit of conversation about the convention with everybody I was talking to yesterday, Christy Avery, Ryan Hold, Kristen, Ryan Graham, and we are just talking about the convention, and we we continue with the theme of should we talk to Arvind Vora, uh, and 
you know, I had talked to Matt shortly before that because I didn't do any any interviews until about a day and a half into the convention because, again, I wanted to show up, observe, figure out what was going on, who's who. And then once I kind of figured every everything out and figured out what I wanted to say, then I talked to people. Uh, and so we're sitting there podcasting and Arvin's doing this interview that we talk about. And we decide that, yeah, let's talk to him. And in the process, we see TJ... Uh, TJ Roberts from Liberty Hangout, the the notorious publication. Uh, although they've been they've distanced themselves from writers from some writers. Uh, and you know what? I in in that moment I said, you know what? I haven't. Pur- I purposely have not talked to TJ or Arvin. I should I should take my own advice and be open to hearing what others say. We invite them over. And we have a conversation with them, and we hear their point of view, and then you can pick apart what you agree with or don't, but at least you see them as a person, as a human being, uh, and you can pick apart what they think. So, without further ado, I want to bring to you, and listen, I did not let them off the hook. I asked very tough questions, the kind of questions that you would want to be asked of people like Arvin and TJ and Matt. Uh, and I hope that, uh, that you get something out of it. Um, I don't think I missed anything with these guys, but p- please check it out. Um, you know, they were, they were really good conversations and I, I hope people didn't see the names in the podcast and just decide not to actually listen to it because, oh, I'm not going to listen to that guy. Cause that's the exact opposite of what we're trying to do here. We're trying to engage and converse with people in our movement that, we are puzzled by how or why they do things. So here, let's try and figure it out together. All right, so let's get back to the action. You got to hover harder than that. So, she so, is not. So, doing... Christy, your opinion is the leg flip going to be enough? Oh yeah, yeah. Kristen is now sitting over at a table. She's wearing a dress, a very shapely dress. Uh, she's she's wearing a lot of cleave, and uh, she has a lot of cleave, doesn't she, Christy? A lot of cleave. Right. It, yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of cleave, yes. Yeah. And, uh, but instead of hovering, she's just kind of like sitting there. In line of sight. Not looking at her, him. Flipping her leg. She's on her That's phone. That's a specific thing. It, it, uh, Maybe I, she's texting Arvin. She's I'm. Playing <laughs> she's playing hard to get. I need, I don't need hard to get. I need, <laughs> I need easy to get. That's how the kind of interviews that I do. Okay. How, how bad, how bad, how bad of a joke can I make right now? Go for it. She's a okay. Prob- stop. No, we're, that's <laughs> enough. Yeah, I mean, oh, you can make a good. I don't think I've ever heard anybody get cut off. That's, that's amazing. I think he knows where I was going to go. I know exactly that. where you were going. Uh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. So, listen, uh, I don't know. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about guys like Matt and Arvin and Joshua and Nick and all these people. Uh, what you realize is that they're people when you meet them in person. Yeah. Like, don't have you? Don't you guys moderate I, when you're here? Like, like when, when you you kind of go I like I don't that guy, and then you get here and you're like, ah, he's not a bad. I mean, so one. I thing- think that's normal in everybody, even when it's not. Okay, so Facebook it gives you that insulation, and you can give yeah. more just bombastic and say kind of crazy things. And when you talk to somebody face to face, it's different, right. right? But also, Facebook doesn't really lend to having good conversations. It's it's more of a you're trying to get attention, so you say more over the top things than right. you would if you were in person. I ran into Michael Heiss today. Mm-hmm. Now him and, and I, who's Michael? Michael Heiss is the uh, founder of the uh, Libertarian Mises Caucus. Mises, Mises Caucus, yes. the LPMC. 
him and I have not gotten along. Right. From day one, because he came out advertising for that new caucus as we are going to take over the party, which really right. set me off. So him and I have gone back and forth quite a bit. So I'm standing outside in the alternate um, discussion area, which is the designated smoking area. It's where all mm-hmm. the real business gets done at these conventions. And uh, he noticed me. He said, oh, we need to talk. I said, we probably do. So we took, we walked in and had a good discussion. And it's like when you're talking to somebody, you can you can see your points whether they're hitting or not. You can you can gauge what they're really thinking instead of trying to guess it online. Where you're trying to think, well, he's just being rude or this. You can tell when you're talking. Right. It, it facilitates a better conversation anyway. Right. So I don't know if it's so much that you're more guarded or more nice because you're in person, or it's just because when you're in person, you get all those social cues that you don't get. Yeah. Well, on Facebook, I mean, and libertarians, let's be honest, we need all the help we can get. That's what I was talking about a little bit earlier was like the, the shit show that is the Facebook delegate groups at this point. I mean, it's it's a it's nonsense. Right. And it, it was it almost had me afraid to be here. It's gotten right? worse today. Too. Um, well, I've not been paying attention and that's been good because I've walked up to everyone who I've had conversations with and disagreed with. Right. And we're having great conversations. Me and um, mm. I know this is not going to be popular in Indiana, but me and Sam Goldstein had a little bit of a, a <laughs> falling out. Pop- and I don't know. No, no, no. Really all like of, all of us. No, no, no. We completely um, understand. We all, all love. Us, yeah. We all love Sam Goldstein, but we completely understand. Yeah. <laughs> but I met him at a party last night after I had had uh, a lot of free drinks and uh, we had a great conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. Sam Goldstein online is um, he's a little he's too a short and it, to it, the point. We could say um, gruff, but yeah, he's yeah. He's, yeah um, he well, so so I did. So uh, we we can talk about both the Indiana candidates. Actually, it, Sam Goldstein is a grumpy old man that nobody likes, and uh, and uh, Joe Hopman is a grumpy old man that everybody finds endearing. Yeah, it's so. <laughs> very true. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, they're. Um, I I think it would be interesting, and and we we kind of had this. Uh, I I think people aren't taking the LNC vice chair thing as seriously as they should because what happens yeah. if Nick becomes mayor of Phoenix and decides he can't you may do be, it anymore you yeah. may be choosing the next chair you know like there there could be an opportunity so, the, so there's so. no there's no reason why he couldn't do both the question is, is will he feel like he can which we talk about yeah. in that interview and basically he's like I don't know I think I could do both I could do all of them you know he's got a job he's got young kids but he's you know I think there's a lot of flexibility and a lot of drive and passion and I mean, he might del- start delegating more of that work, though. Right. So that's another thing I, he could I do. I think the only job duty is running a quarterly meeting in this convention. For the vice the, chair, pretty for, much. For the, for the chair, for the actually. Chair. I mean, really? Technically, his his yeah. job duties, by, according to the bylaws, yeah. are mm. running this meeting and running a quarterly meeting for the LNC. And so interfacing with meetings. media right. and other things that he will take on to do. Sure. But. No, I think the thing about the conventions, and that's why it's, I think, good to come every couple of years, you know, like you, you wouldn't want. I wouldn't want to do an interview with Arvin Vora, but he's a person who's standing over there, and you're kind of like, all right, let's talk to him. Like Matt, mm-hmm. n- Matt has asked me a couple times to do an interview on the show, and I've said no because I don't want a damn libertarian socialist. You must be a <laughs> fool. And then you hear him, and you go, okay, I see. I think he's wrong. I don't agree with his endpoint, but I can see that he. He, he truly is uh, advocating something that was the beginning of anarchism, you know, like the idea, the, the idea is the beginning of anarchism. <sighs> I'm putting myself to sleep. This is actually- no, but the thing is, is that he he's focused more on the other aspects of that, and the social part isn't isn't the base of everything he's building his thought processes right. on. And that'll probably change as he gets older, right? 
I mean, the yeah. end result of communism is supposed to be anarchism. Uh, it just the, the the problem lies in how many people you have to kill to to make that possible. Well, I mean, hippie communes <laughs> in the '60s were so were basically pure anarchy socialism. They That's were, right. Yeah. Everybody agreed to do this. We're all in the big commune together. We share things. Nobody owns anything. Right. It was all voluntary. And that's really what he's advocating for is the hippies 60s. Yeah. Here's how here's how uh, far like I think conventions and this point it's it's a really good time to come together. Here's how far it goes for me even. I was asked by basically the office as I was trying to get my press credentials and I was just sitting there talking to them as they were doing some work they're like I don't know about giving Liberty Hangout credentials <laughs> and I said you absolutely should because they have been they seem like they've been moderating and they may be mm-hmm. here to shit post but at mm-hmm. the end of the day what's going to happen is they may actually completely change their tune mm-hmm. and you could miss an opportunity and so they said yeah okay I, or they I, could I, completely shit pose and go way off the rails, and that's still going to drive people reading about what happened. That's exactly right. And so she, or he, they, let me say they, uh, <laughs> I don't, uh, said, okay. You know, and they would have gotten press credentials. I'm not saying I got them press credentials, but yeah. I'm saying like. Joshua was pushing for him too. I was trying to, trying to. Yeah, I was trying to advocate for openness, and I think. That's not a, a, a position that when you're on social media, I certainly beat up Liberty Hangout on our Twitter all the time just because... And they deserve it. They deserve it, but it's it, like for me, it's pro wrestling. Like It's just yeah. kind of like fun to It's almost like them. punching down a little yeah. bit. Well, yeah. From what I heard last night, they've got a, a high turnover rate right now because they've been trying to reform the organization right. to fit more the, in line with you know actually yeah, being libertarian. About, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, we talked about on the on the other podcast we did about the LP where I said Liberty Hangout started, they posted something about, um, what was it? I can't remember the exact story, but it was just something very shocking from them, like uh, right. immigration or something. Uh, open borders or yeah. communist or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or no, it was uh, closed borders or communist was right. what they wrote. So it was like just a weird leap from where they were at. I said that they, they're trying to change their image. They're getting new writers in. I'm like, but if TJ's still involved and, you know, I mean, who, who else is there? And are they going to just flip back and forth? And they just posted something the other day that was very old school like they used to be so you know how much how much of that's going on and then 71 republic does has got multiple writers now so things are happening over there that right it's like who you know how do you moderate that there was a post that was done about joshua on there they got pulled because it was scandalous and scurrilous yeah well, they published uh, a wonderful article about uh me and my run really actually in georgia mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah 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 no so matt it's hit or miss with some of these because they're trying they're trying to get a cadre of writers right and then you're never going to get consistent kind of um a feel out of that until you've really established yourself and where you want to be at like right. like you've got a, a a reason you know they're going to be more in line with each other There's still some variations but you got to be careful when you start bringing on multiple people into a right. new grouping like that because you're gonna your messaging is gonna be way off the place and people are gonna be confused it's not easy to run a publication and matt geiger and i have had a couple conversations to that end because you know he's 17 years old and he's trying mm-hmm. to start something new and he's making mistakes and, and, run, know, for, and run for vice chair <laughs> no you know what's funny about that is someone <laughs> nominated matt geiger 
moments before that, Paul Copeland sent me a message and she goes, should I nominate you for vice chair so five minutes can get, you can get five minutes on stage to talk about We Are Libertarians? It's like, no, <laughs> I shouldn't do that. No, that's not cool. And then not even like two minutes later, Matt Geiger got nominated for the exact same reason. And, I know. And didn't get on the stage. He, he's not even he's here. here. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I posted in our group, I was like, that little shit. <laughs> but, you stole my idea. Yeah, no. There's a, there's a lot of very impressive young people here. Uh, Matt's one of them. Eris Stewart, who is in the uh, Pragmatic Caucus, she's 18. She's worked her butt off. She's like standing at that table all day, and I'm like, "Hey, how are you?" And she's like, "I'm sorry, I can't talk right now. You're not a delegate. I need to get my candidates elected." And she's very type A. It's very adorable. Uh, then uh, David. Um, Man, I wish I could remember from uh, the convention of states. He's 15, and he it's like talking to a 30-year-old. I mean, he's mm-hmm. a very smart kid. So uh, a lot of very impressive young people here, and that's how I know I'm old is that I call them young people. Um, but it really and feels like there's, yeah. there's a There's a youth, lot of first-timers here, too. A lot of first-timers, a lot of youth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think back to the first one you went to was Vegas in 2012. Yeah. I mean, there were still a lot of people who had been in the party for 30 years, and I don't see a lot of those same people at this convention. I think you're very right. Yeah. They've all died. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that's very aggressive, Christy. <laughs> well, but they did, they did honor a bunch of people who have been here. Somebody had been... some. Somebody who's our seventeen conventions yeah. in a row, and you know, it's which like, by my math is eighty-four years. Seventeen conventions. Yes, eighty-four <laughs> years that they've been coming to the Libertarian Convention. Uh, I am not good at math at all. Not this time of night, at least. Okay, Kristen is still. Uh, this has been eleven minutes. Kristen is still uh, over there. Well, she's, she has she's, now she's pointed changed, her, yeah, she's her changed flicking her leg at Arvin. Right, she's changed her focus, trying to get uh, line of sight. She's looking at him. I'd say longingly, but it's more like a bored look. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, please come talk to me. I uh, cannot believe this guy is still interviewing him. And I think he's doing more talking than Arvin is. It's seriously been like 30 minutes before we even got on this. Easily. And, and the thing is, is that I haven't seen him stop asking a question. He's been talking this whole time. <laughs> Uh, He's really close to his face too. Exactly. Oh, like no, use like, the zoom, dude. Uh, no. I'm su- I'd be surprised if the camera's not focused on him. No, so. there's there's no production value to this at all. Can you take a photo of this for me, please? So we we can post it. We'll post <laughs> what, it. Hell, not what to do. So we'll post it in the Facebook group, so that way we're not outing anybody. But go to our Facebook group, and you can find the photo of it there. Uh, ah, that's a selfie. Um, but uh, yeah, you just failed. That was bad. Oh, Kristen's coming back. Um, she did not try very hard. She, for the record, she, I feel like she did not. We need maybe to we should just start saying Arvin's name <laughs> a little louder. <laughs> it's it's a very odd angle. So we're going to post has, a photo here's, of this. Here's my question. If you hear this guy talk here's about immigration for the next 15 minutes, I'm going to blow my mind. Here's, here's what I talked about. Here's my question. Has, has he stopped asking a single question yet? I think Arvin got like maybe, maybe five words in. Right. <laughs> That's going to be a great interview to listen but to. I'll tell you what, as much as I don't really care, he's pretty good at keeping his face like in the camera. Save it until I post the episode. Just send it to me if you would in the messenger. It's really odd. Like, that's the thing. Like, we're the most professional libertarian media here, other than Matt, uh, other than Matt Welch from Reason. Like, mm-hmm. we're it. We're, well, we're really it. 
There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bit of a gap there, too. No offense, Chris. That's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. Um, fuck you, get off my podcast. Yeah, 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 my bad. No offense to Lions of Liberty. It's your fault I listened to Fifth Column, all right? Yeah, no. I, uh, Matt, Matt, I had a very embarrassing moment with Matt Welch because he had sat down at our table. We had, we'd commandeered a table, and I'd left my box of cards uh, on the table, and then... Uh, uh, he had his phone propped up on it, and I walk up and I just hand him a card. I go, "Hi, my name's Chris Spangle. Here's my podcast, and those are my business cards." And then I grab my, and he goes, "Oh, okay." And I walk away like a complete weirdo. And then later on, I was like, "Hey, Did you not recognize who he was." Dear leader took charge of the situation. I knew exactly who he was. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I he didn't have no clue who I was. Yeah, and I treated him exactly like I treated him, like everyone else. Socially awkward uh, and dismissive. Uh, so, so attractive. Maybe yeah. he found that refreshing. Women are so real. Nobody's into fanboying on him. Yeah, uh, Matt. Women Matt. are really into what? Finish that sentence, please. Nothing. I'd like to know what women are really into. I think that might be TJ from Liberty Hangout. You think we should? You may. You the go, guy asking a yeah. question. Go ask if he's TJ. No, TJ is young. I think that in the I hat. Think that there. guy's young. Oh, yeah. that guy in the black there? and green hat. Are you sure? TJ. Come here. Oh. All right. He, you, know, yeah. you know he has me fa- you, know, right. you know he has me blocked on Facebook, right? But, but I'm, I called I'm sure him. TJ has everybody blocked on Facebook. <laughs> I, yeah, my name's Chris Spangle. Hey, nice to meet you. Hey, pull pull up a chair. So this is the this is the reconciliation episode. We're, we've already oh, talked to that. Matt Canoe. I don't know how to say Matt's name. Cunal. Cunal. Cuckoo. Here. Here. Hand, hand, TJ, TJ, come sit next to me. Now, TJ, you do what for Liberty Hangout? Uh, yes, I'm the managing editor, so whenever an article is submitted, I'm the one to review it, correct its grammar, make sure we at least in general agree with it, and publish it. All right. So I have frequently, uh, like, I don't dislike you in any way, shape, or form, sure. and I kind of dislike Liberty Hangout because I think it does, it has a bad reputation for a reason. Okay. But uh, I do like poking you guys, as probably everybody does. I can't imagine what are your D, what do you, what do your mentions look like on the Liberty Hangout Twitter? Um, it's more or less positive, overwhelmingly, really? ever since the recent controversies with Kent State and our open carry events. However, we've been receiving more uh, death threats and notifications and messages, so unfortunately, that's just the reality of it whenever you're fighting for a relatively unpopular cause, such as full gun rights for every citizen, regardless, well, for every human being, regardless of what they've done in the past or what weapon they want. For For those who don't know, explain what you mean by the Kent State thing. Oh, sure, yes. Um, so... Last May, um, Caitlin Bennett, who was our secretary and now our grassroots director, she carried an AR-10 on Kent State's campus. There's a law in Ohio that says that if you are not a student at a specific university, you are able to open carry a firearm. Mm -hmm. And that's how she did her graduation photos, was with an AR-10 in hand. Okay. Now, when did Liberty Hangout get its start? We started as Young Jeffersonians in February of 2015. Okay. All right. So uh, how, how has your reception been at the convention? Um, it's been overwhelmingly welcoming, actually. There's Good. been a few people that have tried to say some things to me. And, and quite frankly, I actually respect them for doing so because right. they're actually willing to talk about me in person. Right. Which is very rare because... Right. Oftentimes, you'll have these people that I see, they just look the other way, they try to run off, and mm-hmm. it, it, it 
really saddens me because seriously, I'm willing to have conversations about criticism as long as it is, in fact, a constructive conversation. Sure. So, I I don't know what the best way, Reinhold, maybe you can, this is Reinhold, this is TJ, uh, this is Kristen, and that's Christy, uh, and this is We Are Libertarians, and uh, we, we didn't get in, we were actually going to try and uh, talk to Arvin, uh, but this guy, this guy doesn't shut up, and then I look over and I see you sitting there, and I was like, you know what, if we're going to talk to Arvin, we're going to talk to Matt, we should talk to TJ too, Sure. and just, and, and figure out, because what I like to do is I like to actually figure out what's going on with people and actually have a conversation with them. And Liberty Hangout has a reputation of being a shitposting site. Now, as a fellow shitposter, uh, <laughs> I can respect that because there is a fair amount of, you know, I've had this conversation with Matt Geiger at 71 Republic. Like, if you're starting something like We Are Libertarians or Lions of Liberty or Liberty Hangout and you're trying to build your audience, there, you have to have a balance between boring-ass news and shitposting to try and get any traction in the way that the algorithms work. Right. It was what... What was the decision behind taking Liberty Hangout towards a decidedly right position, or was there a decision that just sort of worked out that way? Like you're you're sort of known as like the libertarian wing of the alt right. I, I mean, in the conversation around Liberty Hangout, is that okay. a is that a fair assessment? And w- how did that? How did you do? You think that came about? I would say that is not a fair assessment of the publication itself, um, and it is most certainly not a fair assessment of the individuals that work for Liberty Hangout okay. uh, right now. So the way that this really came about was in the f- context that we had individuals that were contributors to our site who were making statements that were whether it be racist or espousing white nationalism to an extent on their own personal profiles. Right. We didn't take it too seriously until the advocacy for state violence started becoming an issue. Okay. So that's where that, that started. And we were willing to set our differences aside and work with people that we had commonality on issues with. We welcomed a socialist, for example, a uh, sort of libertarian left socialist, to write an op-ed about uh, free speech at Evergreen State College, for example. Right. So there's a diversity that we had there. But what really boiled over ultimately was whenever they were making just blatant statements of pure anti-Semitism that we could no longer stand for. And in February of this year, we opted to fire every individual that had any affiliations with the alt-right. So I would say that it would be more fair to say that we are a right-leaning libertarian group okay. would be a more fair assessment. Maybe in the vein of the Mises caucus or in the Mises, like... like uh, I wouldn't want to completely link us to the Mises caucus okay. in, to an extent because they are their own separate organization. Um, in general, I as an individual do support the candidates of the Mises caucus. Um, so I see them as a force for good in the context of their bringing back the principles of liberty, specifically focusing on self-ownership on both ontological and utilitarian grounds, which is something I think we really need to get back to. So how many people work for Liberty Hangout at this point? Um... At this point, we have about five consistent contributors. We mm-hmm. have myself, we have the owner, and we have Kate. So we have about eight people right now that are really focusing on the website. We have about three social media contributors as well. Okay. All right. And then how many people were let go? Uh, we let go of three individuals. Okay. So was it a conversation within Liberty Hangout to go, we need to get control of... I mean, because part of my criticism of you and Liberty Hangout around that time was like, 
I want you to be successful. I want you to be a strong libertarian publication for your advocacy, sure. but I also don't want you to contribute what I see as a toxicity to the libertarian movement, and you're doing things that that make it hard for people to even mention your brand without other people shutting down. So, like, was there an awareness of that, and the, the decision was, like, we need to actively change the perception of the publication by changing the contributors? I unfortunately don't think that the perception has largely changed at all. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. we still do get the same exact accusations. Most of the accusations that we are all right uh, actually don't come from libertarians anymore, though. Mm. Uh, so in the sense of with libertarians, I would say the perception has changed largely. Right. We get these accusations from the left now because, you know, if you're pro-gun, you're automatically a Nazi. So right. that's one of the uh, things. But we really didn't make the decision in order to gain any favors or to please any audience. We did it simply because they crossed a line that we were not willing to let any of our people affiliated with cross. Right. So yeah. we just simply Being did it on... anti-Semitism, racism, bigotry right. in general. And especially with wishing to implement it through the state. Right. Okay. Um, wanting immigration policy to be based off of your race, wanting IQ-based want things like that, just to where you're increasing the scope of the state, right. which I could not morally stand for. Right. Um, it was really just a decision between Justin and I. So what are the things that you write about now? Uh, like, if I were to go to Liberty Hangout right now, what's the kind of stuff that I would see? Largely, we've been focusing on gun rights because of the uh, controversy that I was just talking about mm -hmm. with Kent State. That's where a lot of our newer audience has come in on, um, is just with that. But one thing that we have been doing is we've been actually making it to where in the middle of that, we're sort of dropping black and yellow pills in the middles of the article. We'll mm -hmm. give these hardline conservative headlines, but if you read into the articles, you'll see points at which point. Um, one of our articles, we make the point that there should be no gun laws whatsoever, and even felons should have their rights restored once they have served their sentence. Right. Because the fact of the matter is, is that criminal justice reform is an essential part of the Second Amendment as well. Right. We point out, we've pointed out hypocrisy of major quote-unquote pro-gun individuals take Kyle Kashev right now who for supports fixed nicks which will take your gun rights away if you have so much as a parking ticket mm -hmm. we've basically made this point that right now conservatism is not enough because they're just attempting to mitigate the damage that's being done with the growth of the state no we need to go on the offensive and we need to make sure that we are actually limiting the state and reducing its its size and scope right and we're making sure certain that they realize that this right doesn't just come from your right to defend yourself from a personal attacker it doesn't come from your right to hunt no it comes from your right to defend yourself from a tyrannical government and that's one of the big things we've been doing we've been also been focusing on anti-war articles a little bit as well i recently put out a critique of the united states space force for example right okay Ryan Holm, do you have any questions? Uh, Ryan, feel free to jump in here if you guys have questions. I know you have something to say. You're personally, you, you and TJ, you're blocked. You've blocked uh, Ryan Holm over here. I apologize. <laughs> well, it was during the Johnson campaign, and we were both probably very heated about the situation. But the, the thing I, I, I tried talking to you about at the time was that I felt that you were a decent writer. I was concerned about Justin at the time more, okay. than, more than you because I felt Who? that he... Um, Justin, I can't remember his last name. Moldau. He's Moldau. the he's, he's the, owner. the owner of the right. site. Yes. So Justin seemed to have a much more Trumpian feel to him, um, and, and that's where he ended up actually going and supporting at the time. And um, while I was working really hard to try and get Gary Johnson elected, having 
libertary, uh, libertarian sources, you know, kind of fighting against what we were trying to do. It just, it, it was bad enough that we have to worry about the, the right and the left fighting for our candidate. It was okay. the, the other people that were supposed to be liberty, you know, should be helping kind of defend against that. And that was just my, that was my thing about okay. it. Was, and, and, and I, I, we talked about this the other day. Uh, on a podcast probably about a month ago where we noticed that you had made some changes to the publication and fired some people and were there was you even had a um, a um, article about uh, immigration or open borders or closed borders was communism I think it was a, it, it was something like it was it was a very um, four year publication to have that op-ed was I think a lot of people were surprised All right. to where a lot of your your people your 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 longtime fans were starting to get upset. I'm gonna let you. It. Do you have any any issue if Arvin I, Arvin has to get to the gala? Yeah. I'm sure, but do you have any issue if we slide him in here real quick? Um, or do you have to sure. run? Sure. Can I make a quick statement? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Like so five minutes. I know you probably got, yeah. is that. Um, uh, Justin uh, did not end up endorsing Donald Trump. Um, he actually doesn't vote. Um, right. So, but he, what the site did is we endorsed Daryl Perry in his mm-hmm. write-in campaign in 2016. Okay. So we just felt that Gary Johnson's uh, lack thereof in terms of principles was harmful to not the libertarian movement, so to speak, mm-hmm. but the libertarian philosophy, where it was a watered-down message where we can have forced association through anti-discrimination laws, such as with the bake the cake issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've recently come out in support of the restaurant's decision to bar Sarah Sanders from uh, this restaurant as well. So we're trying to pr- consistently apply libertarian mm-hmm. principles, and we're trying to do that more so now more than ever. But that's really where we're at. But I really do hope we can work together in the future. Yeah. So, thank you. Yeah, very very cool. Yeah, I uh, I think you've been very well spoken. Yeah, and thanks thanks for coming on, TJ. Oh, yeah, thank you I appreciate much. it. Uh, you've been very well spoken, and thank I appreciate you. you coming on. Uh, basically, Arvin, come on have a seat next to us. My name is Chris Spangle. Chris Spangle, we are libertarians. We met a couple times. Yeah. This is uh, the the reconciliation episode. So, ooh, exciting! So, so exciting. Kind of, so, you know, I'm going to try to monkey wrench that though. But but let's, uh, let's th- try that's it anyway. fine. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, so I've I've talked to Matt. Uh, I've talked to the Libertarian Socialist. I've talked to Liberty Hangout, and I figured we saw you cornered over there <laughs> having a conversation. Yeah, we're, having a, we're having a pretty in depth interview. I'm pretty excited about. It. I think it should be a cool interview on online. Awesome. Soon. Yeah, if you could put that right about. There oh, okay. Me. You want to hear? Yeah, all right. Cool. All right, cool. Thank you so much. And uh, so you obviously have uh, been a lightning round. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. I'm not sure if you. Are, I did notice that. Yeah, actually. if you're controversial, I, I, did, I did pick up on that. Okay, yeah. I think your decision to put devil horns on your literature was actually pretty funny. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, Arvin, you know, I've been critical of of some of your controversial statements, and I think the theme that I've, I've of the conversation with TJ and Matt it comes down to provocation, and I, and I don't even know if that a lot of times it's necessarily libertarians disagree about philosophy i think oh no they do uh, but then they all right fair I, enough here's what i've heard around all the right. country i mean i've heard from a lot of people they're like oh, well i don't they're like i agree with you what you're saying i don't agree with how you say it right so then i just ask some simple questions point blank like well do you agree with abolishing government schools nine times out of ten the answer is no it's not the delivery it's the content right. that most that many libertarians disagree with and i do believe you know, I know this is supposed to be the reconciliation episode. I do believe a lot of that was damage caused inadvertently by our 2016 campaign. No, so really what I want to get at with this right, episode is, so a lot of my listeners are Gary Johnson fans. We're very, very much sort of like the 
the pragmatic wing of the the libertarian There's movement. Okay. Nothing pragmatic about the 2016 Johnson campaign. Uh, oh, hold let on, me, let me okay, let me okay, finish. Okay, go for it. So really, what I want to do is, I think people who would ordinarily not not have access to your message, I want them to understand, to understand what your sure, thinking. Sure. Where where are you coming from? Go because the people around this table, the people who are listening, look at it and go. We're having to answer for you when we talk to our friends and family. We're having to talk to, to people that we've tried to persuade to libertarianism, and they're answering tough questions about controversial statements that you've made about teachers and police officers. Uh, I mean, that, I think, has been the real core of the backlash against you. Um, do you see where those people are coming from, and do you take any responsibility for the discomfort that those people feel when they're trying to... Uh, like Pander. P- p- yeah, yeah, well, the, uh, flat so, out. So but. Here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. People have asked me this question. They're saying, do you think we should do outreach to government school teachers? Do you think we should do outreach to the police? Do you think we should do outreach to the military? My answer every time, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But outreach is not pandering. Mm-hmm. Outreach to me means you talk to a government school teacher about why he or she should stop being a government school teacher. Or why he or she should at the very least speak out against the existence of government schools. Same thing with the military. You should be asking, outreach means trying to get people to engage in general discharges, to try to leave the military. Uh, same thing with, the, with police officers. Introduce them to organizations like LEAP. It means to try to get them to change what they're doing. What is not okay, what I do not approve of, what I do not support, is when you pander and say, what you're doing is totally great, I love you so much, everything about you is perfect, please vote for us. That's trying to trick somebody out of their vote and it is dishonest and it is not effective but the, the it gets twisted to the libertarian party wants to kill cops okay that's the that's the underlying issue here is that eventually it gets it gets twisted because of the internet age it's it's like we come to the libertarian convention we have these face-to-face conversations everybody leaves and goes you know what arvin's really not a bad guy i just uh, misunderstood him in some ways TJ's actually, I thought TJ was really well-spoken. I would have never assumed by his Twitter account that TJ was as intelligent, as well-spoken as what we just saw. Um, and so in the internet age, I think a lot of people are saying, like, as a party as a party leader, like, I'll be honest, you've done a fantastic job with the social media. You have 100% changed social media from in the Libertarian Party. Like, when you came on as vice chair, you took that on, and you completely changed it, and you did a great job in helping propel the message to height, newer heights. Well, the problem is I didn't. And, and, here, and here's the okay. thing. You know, a lot of times people ask me, they're like, well, why, why, do you, why do you do things in this way? And the fact is, for three years, I didn't. For three years, I used the classic approach of bold ideas, polite messaging. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was working. I had a lot of friends, though, who warned me. They said, by the way, you are not in the party you think you're in. You're basically in a party of a bunch of people who like libertarianism, libertarianism because they like marijuana. They're not trying to abolish government schools. They don't really oppose the military welfare complex. They're not about ending the income tax. And I told them that they were wrong. I told one person after others, like, you are wrong. That is not this party. And then I went around the country. And I started talking to people at state conventions that I'd been invited to speak at. Mm-hmm. And what I saw was that I was wrong and they were right. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to believe it. At first, I didn't. The first state convention, I thought it was an anomaly. The second one, I was like, okay, this is getting weird. When I finally realized that everywhere I was going, people couldn't even get behind minarchist positions. Abolishing government schools is a minarchist position. That's not an ANCAP thing. Sure. That they couldn't, that they not only could they not agree with it, but they also often did not think it was a libertarian position to have it all. <laughs> that, to me, was a failure of messaging, 
a vice chair's job, a big part of it is messaging. So would it be fair to say that you're a canary in the coal mine? Is what, you're, what you see your role as is you're saying, there's a problem here. It's not the messaging. It's the funda- fundamental philosophy of the membership. I had this radio show, that, that I still do, mm-hmm. where I used to interview four candidates every episode. It's a podcast, right? The, the podcast, yeah. Promote it. What, what is it? Uh, it's called Libertarians Working For You. We go on air every Tuesday night. Okay. And w- I had this uh, you know, sort of plan that if I could get through an episode without a candidate, a Libertarian Party candidate, that is a Libertarian Party candidate, not proposing an increase in government, I was going to put it on the national page. And I almost never did. And the way I asked questions on the show, it wasn't like, hey, what do you want to do? I would ask questions like, what agency do you want to cut? What tax do you want to cut? And most of the time the answer was, well, I don't want to do cut anything, but here's something I want to add. And that to me is a cultural major issue. We are attracting the wrong people into the party or we're not attracting, we're not having them go through the change that they need to go in order to really be libertarians. And the result of that is now we have people who are doing outreach genuinely. They're not trying to lie. Right. We told them that libertarians with our soft sell messaging or whatever, and I'm the worst offender of this in the past, we told them that there's probably some way to have libertarianism that involves government schools. Mm-hmm. They believed it, and now they're spreading our dishonest message. Okay. And, and so that's why I changed the messaging. It was not just like an accidental thing that happened one day, three years into being by share. <laughs> it was an intentional decision that was absolutely necessary, in my opinion. Did you, um, I think it's fair to say, I mean, you, you were fourth in the, in the vote this evening mm-hmm. for the vice chair's race. I mean, did you kind of go, I know this, is, this may cost me that. This may cost me this position. Or did you, like, did you expect the backlash that you've gotten? Of course. Or, yeah, okay. Of course. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I mean, I knew from the, from, from I mean, I, it was something that I thought about for months and months. And I had to ask myself, I'm like, do, what's more important to me, fighting for freedom or trying to maintain a, a, um, a position, position yeah. in a political party? Right. And I did, it didn't, I didn't have to think about that for very long. Right. Yeah. And in some ways, your position and running for this, I mean, has given you a bigger platform. That, that's true. You know, somebody asked me, you know, you know, they said, well, you were so like nice during the first three years. <laughs> How come I never heard about it? And I was like, well, yeah, exactly. You don't hear about that in politics. Politics is always a blood sport. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be aggressive. It looks like the Trump campaign. It looks like the Clinton campaign. If you want to see what politics is supposed to look like, look at how Clinton supporters respond to Trump or how Trump supporters responded to Clinton. What would you say... Um because I think uh, you and I would probably agree on a lot of criticisms of maybe Ron Nielsen specifically and the Gary Johnson campaign at large. Uh, what was it about the Gary Johnson campaign in 2016 that really raised alarm bells for you? When people, to what they took away from the Gary Johnson campaign was that libertarians support some really complicated fair tax. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a million things. I'm not saying he had to talk about government schools. He could have talked about, for example, uh, jury nullification. That could be four million people going out there and saying not guilty because drug use is not a crime. Right. That could have been happening. He could have talked about cryptocurrency, Bitcoin and Dash, the huge network effect of a four million voter uh, vote total campaign, plus the many more millions of people who learned about his campaign. It could have, he could have been talking about Bitcoin instead of stupid nonsense like Aleppo or the fair tax. Right. Or he could have been talking about homeschooling. There's so many things he could have done to change people's actions to get them to opt out of the state. And the campaign was so hooked on like, oh, my God, let's get a couple more votes that 
they ended up not making these major, major gains. The homeschooling movement right now is about 2 million people a year. What if it was 4 million a year after the Johnson campaign? Right. That would have been huge. Yeah. So, I mean, you're hearing this. Does it change any of your perceptions, Reinhold? Uh, I see you nodding in agreement, Kristen. Yeah. Uh, hand the mic to her, for, for, no, if you no, would. No, 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 no. I'm still okay. pretty new. So I All right. Go ahead, Reinhold. Well, um, so one thing I noticed, you're, you're talking about uh, a lot of people are saying that they're they're not even taking Menarca's positions in some of these state. I haven't run into that. So I, you know, with the, the state party, Indiana, I mean, that's not something I've heard around the that state party. So I'm just kind of concerned about that, too, if, if this if that's the case, because I'm, I'm more of a minarchist, classical liberal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so sometimes I hear stories from the anarchists where, you know, people aren't falling in line with the libertarian message or, the, or they're not really libertarians. And you start, you know, having these fights because it's. Uh, it feels more like an attack on on the classical liberal side or the minarchist side. But if we're going to the point where we have people who think um, libertarianism is actually adding stuff to the government, I'm completely on board with that. But I don't know I'm getting that from your messaging, right? So it, it is maybe that an issue where you're you're making these points and you're getting a lot of attention, but is your message getting through the one you really want to have made or are people... Uh, just basically blocking it at that point and not not coming to that conclusion. A, a lot of I think there's a, a big misunderstanding about what being ignored looks like mm-hmm. because people think that being ignored means somebody's yelling at you or mm-hmm. take like, you know picking apart your argument or quoting you or like you know writing Wikipedia articles about you. That's actually not being ignored. That's mm-hmm. actually being promoted. Right. Here's what being ignored looks like, and I know this is if, if there's a lot of folks listening right now, this might hurt some feelings. But I should tell you what being ignored looks like. Being ignored looks like, hey, that's kind of an interesting idea. Oh, that's a neat idea. Mm-hmm. That's being ignored. It's just polite, <laughs> and people might not pick up on it. Right. But mm-hmm. that's what it means to be ignored. Right. If you are being attacked, if people are mm-hmm. quoting you, if people are are taking your words out of context or in context, you're not being ignored. Right. And honestly, I'm not saying you're not being ignored. I'm saying is maybe your message not making through. Meaning that it, controversy. Meaning so, that you wouldn't face as much much backlash if if your message was penetrating. Because right now you're being very rational. Like I think we're sitting here listening, hearing what you're saying, and going, I don't necessarily think I disagree with him. Yeah. You know, I think I think you're if you're talking about um, the difference between Ron Paul and Rand Paul, for instance, where. Ron Paul captures hearts and minds and changes people and mm-hmm. brings them to libertarianism because he has that very solid, well-thought-out, foundational message, Inspired. whereas Rand Paul doesn't inspire the same sort of message because Rand Paul talks about, you know, policy. And, and, and like, I think that's a big problem with Weld, for instance. Like, when he spoke at Indiana, it's like, dude's given a 90s policy speech. Politics is totally different than it was. Yeah. People want to hear why you're going to change the world with libertarianism and these overarching things. And you, you were critical of Indiana, which where most of us are from, uh, the th- three of us here are from, uh, about the conversation about Sunday sales, for instance, which, is, was, yeah. which is the most talked about topic amongst the, the electorate in Indiana. Uh, and so the Libertarian Party in Indiana made the choice to take a strong position on something that Hoosier voters were very uh, in favor of, and you made the point that this is not strong enough. This is milk toast. This is like this is weak. I can see your point, but I also wonder what you would say to people in Indiana who go, "We're trying to talk about what voters care about." 
this culture has produced this government. If we knock down the whole government right now, two days from now, this culture will rebuild this government. And I know that it's you. people want to avoid the culture war because it's not that fun. There's a lot of blowback. Right. You deal with one hostile room after another. That is part of this. We have to do the culture war. If the thing that, that people in Indiana care most about is getting drunk on Sundays, that needs to be changed. They need to be caring about how much they hate you because you want to end government schools until they start thinking about it. Because here's the thing. Anger focuses people. Anger makes people think. I know people say that anger makes people close off their minds. There is no truth to that of any kind. Anger brings your mind and focus to a thing. If you're angry at something, I guarantee you're thinking about the thing that you're angry about. Right. And so the fact that and I and, and and here's the thing. I mean, I've 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 actually talked about legalizing alcohol sales in many in many states. I just don't believe it is a primary issue. I think it's good. I think it's a good thing to do. I think that you should be allowed and I wrote a the kind of thing on Facebook a while ago to just show, show my support to that ideology where I talked about banning alcohol sales on Sundays is a religious freedom issue. You are forcing people who are Jewish to keep a Christian Sabbath or people who are atheists to keep a Christian Sabbath. It would be the same as telling Christian bakers not to bake cakes on the Jewish Sabbath, which doesn't make any sense. And I don't think most people would agree. So, but, but when it comes down to this, if all people know about libertarianism is that we like to drink on Sundays and they don't know we want to abolish government schools, we have failed in communication. Right. And so that's where I come down. I want to make it hard for people to hide the best parts of ourselves. Abolishing government schools, abolishing welfare, you know, shutting down the military welfare complex, bringing the troops home. Those are the best parts of ourselves, and I want it to be impossible to ignore those. Okay. I think that's fair. Uh, You've been listening, Ryan. I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think that you can go out there and tell somebody what their passion should and shouldn't be, right? That's not going to resonate with people. So when I hear you say that, um, when I hear you say that, like, I, I understand, I get you, and that, like, that's what your, that's where you are passion, what your passion is, but that shouldn't be. Like, that's not going to resonate with anybody, and that's not going to have people that like join our side. So when our are, local are you, affiliates are having these meetings in counties, and they have ten people who show up, and nine of them want to work on alcohol sales, and you say, "But we want to abolish government schools." Nobody cares about that. They're just going to go home, and they're not going to come back. Yeah. So I was at the uh, LSLA meeting in man. It was like my I had just joined the party i had just been hired as the executive director of the indiana libertarian party and uh, mary ruart was uh speaking with lee wrights and at that point i couldn't have been further from lee wrights and you know i was a libertarian but i was definitely like i just 10 years later i understand so much more and i remember very clearly mary ruart just patiently politely lovingly like mary ruart does saying you don't understand now, but libertarianism is a train. You get on the train, you go through a bunch of different stations, and then once you're at the station, the final destination, you go, man, why did I ever think that way? Uh, and she's been completely right. And I think that we sometimes are not tolerant of people not understanding maybe what you and I understand after years of being libertarians. And so I think what he's saying is, like, you, you as the second highest official in the party... Um, trying to open up a discussion about age of consent laws or, you know, very aggressive libertarian positions in our culture, other people who are not on even on the train yet or the people who are in the first couple stations go, whoa, these guys are really, like, intense. You know, I, I, these guys, it's, 
I think that's probably the disc. I mean, is that a fair assessment of what you're trying to say? Yeah, and I and I don't disagree with a lot of that stuff. But yeah, you're right. Like, if somebody doesn't care to work on that issue, and that's what you're insisting they work on, then they're that. It, it doesn't get us anywhere. That's the thing. We need boots on the ground working on things. Um, and from a national level, you guys aren't, um, you're not the boots on the ground. Uh, at the state level, they're not the boots on the ground. The local guys are the ones doing everything. Oh, they should be. Uh, and we should be enabling them. That's that's my vision for the party, at least. And um, they are going to be choosing, right? We all believe in localization. They're going to be choosing the issues that matter to them because the stuff that matters in Atlanta, where I'm from, is different from the stuff that matters in Indianapolis, is different from what's important to the people in San Francisco and they should be working on the things that they care about and that might not necessarily be abolishing public schools no matter how much we agree with you if the passion's not there they're not going to go put the boots on the ground to get that done because they don't if they don't care so let me phrase it this way how do can, you can ha- I interject for a second yeah yeah you go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> so i think we like i hear people using the word understand a lot mm-hmm and I think there's a difference between understanding a position and just knowing what the position is. Right. And I agree that we should not say that you have to understand why we want to abolish government schools or that you even have to agree that we want to abolish government schools mm-hmm. in order to be a libertarian. You just have to know that that is a libertarian goal. It can be a libertarian goal that you disagree with. Right. Right. But it can't be a libertarian goal that you simply don't know about. And that, to me, is what I'm seeing a lot of, where people are saying, oh, my God, this is too incendiary. I shouldn't say this when I'm recruiting. The problem is it helps that, that hiding helps you recruit one person and it turns somebody else away. Mm-hmm. Because I'm telling you this, our biggest natural allies are the two million homeschoolers and their families per year, two million per year. Right. And I guarantee you this. I don't have, when I'm talking to homeschooling groups, I don't have to talk about abolishing government schools. They talk about it for me. So why not talk about the virtues of homeschooling and how that can be a strong alternative as opposed to using the phrase abolish public schools? I've done both. Abolish public, abolish, abolish public school spreads. Talking about the virtues of homeschooling simply doesn't. Okay. And one of the big problems I used to have with candidates when, on my radio show or candidates that, I, that, I've, that, I've, that I've, you know, worked with in messaging is all the time I would hear this. They would be like, we need to cut spending on the drug war so we can spend more on our government schools. They, they would call them public schools. Or we need to cut military spending so we can spend more. And it was like a, a constant thing because it's so deeply ingrained in American culture. We need to get it outgrained. Is that going to be pleasant? Obviously not. It's going to be a very difficult process. But I guarantee you this, that after some of the, the, you know, the, the, the excitement of, of this convention, I don't think that most candidates who came to this convention, who got a chance to you know, hear me debate or speak, are going to be automatically and unthinkingly saying, let's cut military spending so we can spend it on government schools. Some might do it anyway, but they'll be doing it consciously as opposed to not understanding that that's not the only thing you can do with money. Right. And one thing I wanted to bring up, too, sure. and point out is that um, when a lot of discussions happened about the and some of the memes started, and that's when all the the stuff happened. My point was is that you know this is kind of, I was trying to explain to people this is what you're trying to do because if you put out a meme and nobody cares about and thirty people have seen it, you know that were following you, nothing happens. But you put something out and then you know somebody sees it they get upset or by it they get incensed <laughs> by it they're sharing it to their friends oh, uh, they're upset they're sharing it to their friends now you've got thousands and thousands of people why wouldn't you keep doing that so we have 88,000 on the we are libertarians page we talk about this all the time mm-hmm. i can spend 
30 minutes writing out a well-thought-out position. I can post an article from Cato that talks about open borders, and here's the 14 myths. And it'll get 500 impressions, you know, and nobody, but then you post some shit meme that somebody spent 30 seconds on and it's been downloaded and it's all pixelated and it'll do 80,000 because that's what people actually want. Mm -hmm. Is that sort of what you're saying? It's like people inherently, politics in my mind is taking the aggressive, warring nature of human beings and putting it into a polite form because it's nonviolent. Mm-hmm. But there still is inherent violence in politics. There's there inherent is, yeah. conflict. Yeah. There is conflict between you and me because of your position on this and yep. you do it this way and I well, want to do it this way. And you're saying stop being afraid, quit being a pussy <laughs> and stop being afraid of that. I, I probably wouldn't use that language. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, look, at, I'm more radical yeah. than Arvind well, Vora. You're, try, you're trying to break down people's preconceived and, and long thought held rhetoric positions that they have right Right. you can't break through that with nice words all the time sometimes you you have to do you have to pound the door so is the germ of your message that don't be afraid of that inherent conflict and engage in the conflict by by saying what we believe and just standing and delivering what what you think there there's a a large aspect of that And, and let me just clarify a little bit okay the goal that i have is i want libertarian ideas to be spread and sometimes they're spread by our allies, and sometimes they're spread by our enemies mm-hmm. to our future allies. A lot of times when I post about abolishing government schools, people get upset. They get so upset that they share it on their own Facebook page. I might advise them that's not maybe the best social media strategy for them to do, but they get upset, they spread it. And what I, what sometimes, you know, I don't do this a lot, but sometimes I'll just go and see where it's been shared on somebody else's page and just read the comments, and usually 10, 15 down, somebody will say, like, you know, I kind of agree with that. And this is a the person that I could never have reached if my adversary had not voluntarily shared the, shared the information with their closest friends and family. Sure. But in that, mm-hmm. uh, my mind just said, yeah, but there's 10 people who are sitting there going, what an asshole. That's okay. Because those aren't the people who agree with me right now or could be reasonably persuaded. Okay. You have to ask, if, is, is somebody persuadable? Is somebody, I think anyone's persuadable. But you have to ask, how difficult would it be? Sure. If I'm talking to a group of 10 people in the military, there's probably two or three people that are very ready to leave. And they just need someone in the, any person in the world to say, you're not crazy, you should leave. Right. And then there's some people who are so gung-ho and so about it. And you know what? Maybe they could be persuaded, but it might take me 15 years. Right. I'm going to go, I'm going to sacrifice the ones that just can't be persuaded. I'm going to go out for the ones that can be persuaded. And so like the Jesus line of don't cast your pearls before swine like don't waste your time on people that can't be saved it's a, to an extent but i don't, I don't mm. really believe that that there are people who can't be saved i think some people are just like it's just quicker right you know you, you we you know i talked to a lot of a lot of folks recently um because i've been writing about a lot of men's issues and i talked to a lot of folks recently about some of the what i consider to be human rights violations going on in france um which are that they're banning at will paternity testing i think it is so morally reprehensible to block somebody's access to the truth now that language that discussion is going to land well with some people and it's going to be meaningless to other people and so who's going to land well with probably people who have been hurt by that law so i'm going to go and talk to people who have been hurt by that law as opposed to people who simply have no opinion on it sure and so these are things that i think are very very important to make sure that you're actually trying to reach 
being efficient, you know, reaching the people that can be reached. Right. And I would definitely try to reach, for example, home homeschoolers before I would reach, you know, public school superintendents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a series called The Cost, and uh, where we basically talk to a person who's been affected by government policy and the human toll that that takes on them and their family. And you listen to Amanda's story about her experience as a domestic violence victim and CPS and the police. Like if you're not a libertarian after three hours of listening to that, like, I don't know what to tell you. Like you're just not going to get it because it's so heartbreaking the human toll that government has on people. So I think that is definitely some common ground that we have there. I mean, that, that, that totally speaks to me. You know, like the people who've had their houses stolen, they're real ready to listen to, to things about civil right. asset forfeiture, yep. forfeiture and the like. Um, and, and that's why, you know, like I, as, you, as you guys saw, I spoke, you know, I, I was very strongly in favor of the sex worker plank, even though I'm not personally a sex worker, because I know that they have been abused and vilified, not so much by the government, by our society, sure. which has created the government to do the bidding of the culture. Yeah. Well, I mean, government is always the last part of society to change. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really, you look at gay rights, for instance. Yep. You know, it wasn't the government leading the way to change <laughs> everything. It was Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. I mean, a young Chris Spangle who was 17 years old was so homophobic that I apologized to a friend that I didn't know was gay at the time, and now I do. I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Why I actually you? had a very similar experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then I watched Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, and I was like, these guys are all right. Maybe I could be friends with one of these people. Yeah, and I think was that, that the new one or the old one? The old one. Oh. Yeah. Uh, this is yesterday. Right. This is yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. No, and I think that's uh, a big part of what we, are, what we are libertarians is about is that to have a libertarian society, you have to first live a libertarian lifestyle. You have to live certain principles and have certain values First and foremost, you have to be motivated to be self-actualized. You have to be motivated to make yourself a better person. And in turn, you're going to want to treat other people with empathy. And I think until we really do that, I don't think we can have a libertarian society because what you said earlier is so true. We would have the same exact government if we ended it tomorrow. We have to change culture, and we have to change it by how we interact with people. And that's uh, that's something I told somebody today. I said, we have the government that we want right right now because— it's like no the 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 powers that be are preventing this from happening and blocking this. I'm like no, they're not. Everybody wants that. When people reelect their senator for the twelfth time and then yell about term limits, they're right. not yelling about their senator. They're yelling about everybody else's. Theirs is fine. No, we've seen it with the deficit. I mean, when you have Republicans yeah. who are unwilling to do anything to the deficit because of their donors, right? Like they're and all full of the constituents. Crap. The people. The people. We well, we could, we could, listen, we could, but, we're yeah. here to talk to Arvin. We could do this all day. Uh, we don't, <laughs> we I'm you sure you're stuff. tired. I do, you know, speaking of empathy, I do want to talk about the, the, the toll that it's taken on you because, listen, I'm sensitive and I'm, I'm, uh, I have a temper and I could not run for vice chair or chair. I would be, I would be so annoyed with everybody. I'd stand up there and, you people. <laughs> um, <laughs> How do you how do you handle opening up your Facebook and seeing people posting like really nasty things to you and even people that you probably know and respect and have known for a long time or memes that are probably unfair and and you're just like I'm being misunderstood nobody's actually hearing what I'm saying what kind of how do you deal with that I mean has it had I an mean, effect I, on you I, I just think it's awesome honestly really? okay <laughs> I'm like I'm like this is sweet my adversaries are spreading my message because the biggest isn't when somebody when you scroll down 10 things and and 
they and somebody's and and somebody says, "Wow, I really agree." The biggest when you scroll down five things, and they're like, "Who the hell is Arvin Vora?" And that's one more person, right? Who knows? And here's the thing: at some point, as we become you know larger and larger parties, we all get you know larger and larger media, whether as Senate candidates or, or whatever, or as vice chairs or as chairs. We're gonna get time to s- explain whatever it is we want to explain, mm-hmm. and that was you know some of the brilliance of the Trump campaign. He went on just like say, he would say things that were so incendiary that they make anything I would ever say look just super like right. Super, I mean, you told me not to curse earlier. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't tell you not to. I, just, I, know, I, I personally, wouldn't. I know, I'm joking. Yeah, so, so, but but the thing is, when he would get everybody so fired up. And the Washington Post was covering him, and every every other you know left leaning newspaper was just covering him. The result was that the next questions were always asked to him, and he always knew what the questions were about. Right. I always know what the debate questions are going to be when I'm asked. Right. I know that people are going to ask why I'm incendiary. I know that people are going to ask me about government schools. I know that if they don't ask me about government schools, I'm going to talk about them anyway. Right. So there's there's a certain amount of controlling the message. The reverse of that is what the Johnson campaign did, where they tried to just have no message. And the result was that they let the media pick it. Yeah. I'll tell you this: If Gary Johnson was covering talking about abolishing government schools all day long, no one would have bothered with Aleppo. They would have just attacked him on government schools, and he could have persuaded some people about that using the enemy's force against them. Donald Trump wants to build a literal wall on the southern border. It's the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life. I've like, spoken against it many times. But but I'm saying I think your point is valid that 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 silly idea in a way that is silly. Uh, people really responded to it. I think you're, you're like Trump has kind of, in some ways, borne out what you've said over the last twenty minutes. Like people paid attention to him because at first it was like, this dude's, this dude's just out of his mind. They're not, li-, you know. And then eventually they're like, I need a wall, you know. Like, yeah. uh, and, and so why not? Why not it be libertarians who have everyone's best interest at heart? You know, because we're going to, you know, not use our power to try and control people and force people to do things. We're going to free people. Exactly. You know? So why not why not use our message in a bold way? And and when we go back to the idea of understanding, right? In order to get to understanding of an idea, you first have to know that the idea exists. Right. Like I could never understand Christianity if I didn't first know there was such a thing as Christianity. Sure. And the same is very true of things like abolishing government schools, of things like ending the income tax. There are a lot of people who have never even imagined it, who've never considered it, who, who, who at mo- first have to actually think about it for a moment because it's so foreign to them. Right. And so that's the first step of understanding. The first step of understanding is not, hey, that's a neat idea. The first step of understanding is usually rage. Right. And then the next step of understanding is analysis. And then like 50 steps later, you get understanding. I'd say that's fair. I mean, in my own experience, you know, I was uh, like, I held a pro-war rally in 2003. Like I was a, I was college Republicans president in 2004. I was so hardcore for Bush. Uh, but like I still I, like I was I was like uh, immigration policy seems right. I don't care if the gays get married. Like there were little cracks. Mm-hmm. But then I went to you know work with a Republican candidate who was a libertarian named Andy Horning and and Abdul Hakim Shabazz, a talk show host that I worked with, and like. I just would get so pissed with at them because I couldn't ref, like I couldn't argue. I didn't understand anything I believed, so I was just like, I better figure some shit out. So I actually like know what I'm talking about, and then through that process, 
five years later, I was like, oh, I'm a libertarian. So I, I, I think you're absolutely right in that. I mean, in my own personal experience, I saw that. Uh, and, and mine too. The first time somebody told told, told me told me about anarcho capitalism, a I couldn't imagine it. Right. But I was very convinced it was the stupidest and worst thing I'd ever heard. Right. And so I did a lot of research so I could explain how dumb it was. Right. And then you know through that research, you know the the rest is kind of history. Yeah, I did the same with Christianity. It was and, like I'm going to prove these people wrong, and then I was like, oh man, I believe a guy got nailed to a tree and he's, he's <laughs> Jesus now. Fine. Uh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, it made me think about um, the recent law change in Oregon where they are now allowing people to pump their own gas <laughs> and and the outcry at that right because the people in Oregon have no idea that like people everywhere else in the country just do this yeah. already and they're like I'm going to get to work and I'm just going to reek of gas because we're going to shower in it or something and uh, everyone's going to die because the place is going to explode and I'm like well, wait but everyone else does this but they just couldn't conceive of that idea because I, it's I, not what happens I there. saw something on Twitter I'm going to butcher what, what it was but it was basically like <laughs> if if you mandated that the government taught every child how to tie their shoes within two years, everyone would believe that no one could learn how to That's tie their shoes right, without yeah. the government. <laughs> you know, and I think there's the government ends up leading people to think that the government can teach people how to tie their shoes. Trying to demolish the, the Department of Education, it's like, well, we need the Department of Education. It's been there forever. No, it's been there since '74. ICE right. has been there since 2001. These these aren't things that are necessary to function in a government. All right. One of the Go one ahead. of the things that when when people talk about things that they can't imagine, the, when it comes to government schools, they they get homeschooling, they get you have Khan Academy, but they're like, well, pro- what if you want to use a private school? It's so expensive, and because my 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 parents came from India, I am aware that you know because India when they were there had so little infrastructure, like realistically, government school is not a realistic goal, right? And so there's everyone went to private schools. It does like the like the poorest servants went to private schools mm-hmm. because and because of that many of the private schools just weren't very expensive. They were tiny, like the fees were tiny. Right. And we can have that here. We can have it doesn't cost ten thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars a year to run a private school. Right now they're just being offered as a luxury service. So of course they're gonna cost a lot. Luxury services always cost a lot. I mean it's just like, you know, spas cost a lot, but it doesn't cost ninety dollars to put oil on your back. I mean you can do that for ten cents. And it's like the same general principle. There are cheaper ways to do this. Um, but people can't imagine it. They would be like, oh my God, no one would ever go to school again. Right. There's a there's about a billion there's a country of a billion people that shows that you can actually have affordable schools. Right even in poverty maybe a tip for you is you started with a story you just told me a story and i was like damn that dude's right you know and so i think you know if it, trust me as a podcaster i'm very frustrated that there are so many damn storytelling podcasts a they're great but it's like it's like <laughs> it's like taking over the podcasting space and so us small independent guys who don't do storytelling podcasts can't get to the top but you know and i think it's just because the human brain like when what what you just said it's it's hard it's like how do you get a story into the public consciousness but that was I mean, how do you get into a tweet yeah no no <laughs> for sure uh, welcome to my life i think podcasting has been great because it's a it's taught me a ton over the 6 years of doing this like trying to explain things to people i've learned and i change my mind all the time but yeah podcasting's a great way to kind of do that storytelling anyways i'm sure you're exhausted i do want to ask you if you don't if you aren't elected to vice chair tomorrow what does your future hold within the libertarian party or with outside of it or what what are you going to do in the future for that i would very very strongly recommend making sure you're there at the morning session (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure it's it'll be noteworthy Uh, uh, i'm not going to be stripping though i 
Uh, we really do like. I need James Weeks because if we're gonna have the, the I'm starving. Uh, go I'm find so him. I want to do a talk to him. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, right, I appreciate thank, the time. I know you're appreciate exhausted. that, guys. Thanks so appreciate much for having it. me on. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, you know, now that we've talked to him, we're gonna go find James Weeks. Let's go talk to James. Uh, in the meantime, let's talk to our buddy Daryl over at the Mises Caucus. Uh, Daryl is a first-time a delegate to the convention, and uh, he was motivated to get here because of the Mises Caucus. So here is his experience. Here with uh, Delegate Daryl. Yes. <laughs> Daryl is uh, Daryl Meadows. Longtime Facebook friend, how are you? Yes, longtime Facebook yeah, friend. Yeah, you're gonna have to put that uh, like right there. Longtime Facebook friend and uh, listener to the We Are Libertarians podcast. One of the first ones I uh, really dove into. Awesome, I uh, appreciate that. And you've been uh, a good friend, and you have recommended the show to a lot of uh, people, and I, I appreciate that. I, I do. I mean, when you first said, "Hey, you talk to us. We want to be your friends," and I first I was like oh, I don't know if that if you were serious, but then I added you and you were like yeah awesome hey what's up dude <laughs> yeah yeah I'm I'm approachable yet I like to be in my ivory tower it's a very weird dichotomy oh, you yeah. know how it is uh, I'm a libertarian I don't like too much icon I should have worn better shoes uh, remember by the way. you were saying you like you don't like that forced friendship stuff that's exactly <laughs> right so this is your first national convention right yes all right what are your general impressions this is the most amazing thing I've ever experienced. Especially with libertarians, and I don't think I want to miss another convention. Okay. What, what, what is so special about it? Uh, the atmosphere is just absolutely amazing. Being around so many smart, intelligent people, so many people excited for liberty. And like when we had the introductions and they counted out the guys that have been here for convention after convention, and we have a man here that's been here for 18 conventions. Wow. That's insane. That's like 73 years if I'm doing my math right. Um, no, it's, no, it's two, two 36 times. years. 36 years. Okay, yeah. well, that's not as many, but... But, yeah, it's, that's <laughs> insane. That type of dedication, and it's like, we need more of that. Yeah. So, have you met any celebritarians? Oh, yes. I, I've met Larry Shepard. I've talked to him multiple times. I actually met Nicholas Sarawak. I complimented him on his debate last night. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I've met Arvin. I've met Jen Gray, who's been on the podcast as well. Mm -hmm. um, I've met almost everyone that I wanted to meet. Eric July, especially. I've been looking forward to meeting him for months now, listening to Backwards in his album. Okay. I, I couldn't... I, I don't know Eric July. Like I've been at two events with him in a week now, and I, I've never met him. So if you if you see him, point him out to me because I'd um, like to meet him too. I don't, I don't think he's here anymore. Oh, he okay. was supposed to be here yesterday with uh, Mash Teray and all of them on their panel, but oh, okay. he got travel issues after because he left and he was supposed to come back. But I, I did meet Mash Teray also That's from cool. Black Guns Matter, and it's just like so crazy to finally meet these people and just not be strictly on facebook like you like yeah you yeah. are a celebritarian to me so it's like <laughs> <laughs> oh no i don't know about that no <laughs> seriously i mean like like i said you're one of the first people you're you're shaping the minds of libertarians around the world especially with your your um telling people that you know it's not always about the big candidates it's not about big tickets you have to go do the footwork you got to be right. on the ground and really telling people like look if you're not in the party if you're not in a party and you're just listening and you're complaining about the party, you're literally handing the party over to people that you don't want it to go in that direction. So you got to be in the party to really have a say. Like we said to uh, the guy in the Porkfest podcast, he, he was like, I don't like Gary Johnson and uh, I'm not going to go be involved in the Libertarian Party anymore. And, and I just said, so you're saying that like functionally the Libertarian presidential candidate's the most 
penetrating libertarian in the country. Like our friends and family that don't follow all this like we do, they don't know who Eric July or exactly. Chris Spangle is, but they do know who Gary Johnson is. They do know, who, you know, especially Gary, who really broke through. You want to give up the choice? Like you want to give up the power to people that you may disagree with? Like it, 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 to me, opting out doesn't seem like a great idea. Yeah. We have a guy yeah, screaming. There's, there's a lot of nuts here, isn't there? <laughs> oh, there, there is. We have <laughs> one of them right behind us, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, you're referencing Matt Cuny- I have Tino, I believe. Kuna, yeah, he is the... Uh, Anarcho-communist. Yeah. I've, I've debated him a few times on Facebook, and I can't understand how he can argue rent is theft when you say you support property. He doesn't believe in property rights, but if... We believe in voluntary association. Someone that has property should be able to rent property out for a temporary period of time. Right. As a contract. He, he, ba- he did a good job in the debate last night, to be honest, early on. And the people that were sitting around me were kind of, nobody wants your dumb t-shirt. Shut up. I'm trying to podcast in the middle of a crowded room. What are you thinking? <laughs> um, one of us is nuts. Uh, but then he said rent rent is theft and there should be no private property and the boos the boos were crazy did you boo no i didn't boo i i knew everyone was gonna boo so i didn't boo and then the moderators were awesome i think it was i was smart of moderators to say if you drown him out we're gonna give him more time to talk so he can torture <laughs> you and i think that, that that speaks volumes to how they're like we're gonna. We don't want to disrespect opinions, but at the same time, we can argue those right. disagreements at another time. But if he's up here to talk, he's up here to talk. Let him talk, and yeah. we can combat that all later. So you get selected to be in the debate, and we have a thread. If you're listening, you'll probably find it in time. But and, and I'll put it in the show notes. But we had a thread about uh, convention commentary, basically, and I posted the video link in there, and. You know, he, he's like, I believe in... Uh, at one point, Chris Thrasher looked at him and goes, why are you here? Uh, why are libertarian socialists here? Because it doesn't seem to make any sense. He's like, because I believe in erasing... Uh, abolishing all forms of government. No other party fits where I, where, I, where I fit. And I did, like, watching him in the debate kind of go, you know, I don't agree with him, but I am glad that he is able to get on stage and speak freely and you get on stage by having your your crowd put tokens in basically and it keeps it from being 50 nuts on a stage and you narrow down yeah. really who are the actual contenders it's like a straw poll um so I, I do think that's one of the cool things you know libertarians on social media seem to be so like re like screechy yeah like, we're very focused but like once you get here you see how diverse it is yeah there's and, so and much diversity in thought so many diversity in ideas here and it's just it's awesome because at the same time it's like we're we're really on the same path we're on, right. on the same path so arguing that he's a communist an anarcho-communist he wants like he wants to abolish all, all government right and like libertarians want to downsize government and you know anarcho-capitalists want to abolish all government right so in reality, he's literally on that path. We can argue the d- semantics between anarcho-communism and anarcho-capitalism at the same time at the end. And like many anarcho-capitalists say, you know, in an anarcho-capitalist society, anarcho-communists will be free to have their own commune. Right. There wouldn't be a problem with that. So, I mean, we don't have to let them have power where they want to abolish private property. We right. can let them help dismantle the government just like we want to dismantle the government. 
So you've been aligned or you've, you've been a supporter of the Mises Caucus? Yes. Okay. Can you tell me how the Mises Caucus came about? Like, do you know the origin um, story of it? I, I kind of know the origin story a little bit. Um, there's basically a lot of disgruntled libertarians, a lot of people that didn't like the direction of the party, a lot of the social media marketing that was going on. And Let's be honest. Arvin sucks, right? That's Ar- what we're saying. Like, that, everybody's uh, saying coded language like, I don't like the messaging of the party, but it's Arvin, right? Uh, well, there was the uh, incidents with the uh, Twitter account as well, like the uh, Satan party or the, yeah, the, right. that comment. Right. But it... It, it is a little bit of Arvin. It is a little bit of Nick. But I think it was also with the entire Bill Weld incidents. A lot of all that and people being uh, disheartened by the party and not feeling that the party is supporting of their ideas. And, well, when we have the political climate that we have now, the new thing, even even in the Libertarian Party, has been, like, denouncing everything right. like if you if you're not denouncing the people that you disagree with like people are, it's like it's like almost like libertarians are suddenly moving towards collectivism in ways yeah like the, the caucus thing really concerns me because people are now starting to separate into little tribes in the party instead of respect like thinking in, as an individual and i have been i told you about I, the caucus when it first formed yeah you were the first one to tell me about it yeah and i i gotta be honest the I have no problem with the caucuses because they've kind of always existed. They're just now, you know, I think the marketing of them is okay because then people kind of fall into those ideologies. But I think there's an inherent danger down the line of tribal behavior in the party. And I think we've really seen that. Like, this has been the most immature of the four or five conventions I've been to. Uh, So there's a danger there. But the mania, stick around, yeah. The, The mania that I've seen around Bill Weld concerns me a little bit because Bill Weld, you know, for his part, if you go and listen to the raw audio politics feed, you hear a speech that he gave to the state party of Indiana about three, four months ago. And he talks about the mistakes he made in 2016. He, he, and I think Nick put it pointedly last night, Bill Weld being in the Libertarian Party is not making the Libertarian Party more Republican. It's making Bill Weld more Libertarian. I thought that was a very good line. But Bill Weld is like the litmus test here now. Yeah, like it, it's funny because I, I I I don't agree with Bill Weld and a lot of the things he's done, but at the same time I walked up to the man, I shook his hand, I took a picture, and I said, "Look, I don't agree with everything you've done." And I was like, and honestly, I was like, "You are an amazing speaker." I was like, "If we can just give you a script and put you on camera, I would keep you there all day." Right. <laughs> and his wife laughed, and we we had a we had a great little conversation, and it was just awesome. Right. But I think we're gonna get starting here soon. For yeah, no, voting. no, keep going. It's fine. They're but um, so yeah, and it was just awesome getting to talk to him, getting to shake his hand, and just being like, you know, I don't hate this man. I don't hate him. I don't. I think he made maybe bad comments. I think he may might have made bad choices, not thinking at the time because people are emotional and I, they, I they do just, act on the emotion. Yeah, I think he just did, had no understanding of the basics of the philosophy even. And I, I think there were genuine concerns about Bill Weld in 2016. And I think he's tried to mitigate those and I think he's learned more and I still have a lot of concerns about him. But I don't think that he's deserving of the mania that has been here where they're, yeah. they're, I'd say 50% of the delegates are just like don't even care. It's like if you say anything nice about Bill Weld, you you are a heretic. Well, if you it's really odd. think about it, that that moment when Nick defended Bill Weld at the convention in the debate, and yeah. The, yeah, in the debate when he defended him, that was the loudest cheering we actually had yeah. in the entire debate, next to Matt being booed for Renaissance. And I was 
almost surprised because, like you said, there's this mania against Bill Weld, but at the same time, that cheering seemed like to not confirm that belief at all. So here's here's what happens, okay? And the, the debate, the chairs race is a great example of this, and Austin Peterson as well. So Josh Smith is running for chair, and he is kind of the Austin Peterson of this convention where a lot of online strength, but it doesn't matter if those people don't come to the convention and vote. And the people who come to the convention are longtime party activists, and there is an inherent power structure in the LP. Uh, and you can't reform a power structure if you don't fully understand it. And, you know, if Austin Peterson wanted to be the nominee, he should have, you know, he's running for Senate as a Republican. But, you know, if, if you wanted to be the presidential candidate, you have to have some strength uh, in a convention internally, right? You have to understand the power players within the 1,500 delegates that are here this weekend. Like, Josh Smith uh, is well-liked online, but there's still a lot of people who just are longtime advocates who are looking going, this is the first time in a long time the office is doing really well, the party, Nick is not embarrassing. Like, competency is like a core yeah. for these people. Like, competency, just someone competent to Libertarian Party people's like, oh, thank God. And so w what I think you saw when Bill Weld, when he defended Bill Weld, he, he, in a, to paraphrase him, he basically said, Bill Weld has become more Libertarian by being involved. He's raised money for the party. He's endorsing candidates. He's here. He's in the back of the room. He didn't leave us. He had yeah. every right to. And I, I'm like surprised he's here because he's been treated like garbage. Yeah. And he goes, and I'm tired of people like you pointing at the other three candidates on the stage trying to push people out for having false ideology instead of giving them a chance to learn. And the crowd erupted because I think yeah. there's a very like strong sense of, you know, the boomers and the older Gen X people especially, like stop, stop with the online Facebook nonsense that's not how politics works. And I think millennials, we all kind of think that's the reality of the party, but it's much different once you get yeah. here. Yeah, it's, it's really like when you get here, like every, a lot changes when you get here. Really? The people, the people you meet, like they're, they're convincing in a lot of arguments and they're so knowledgeable. Like when they catch you off guard with something that you didn't know. Right. And, but, and, but they're more deeper. I, I met a guy last night, Russell. And we were talking about the convention of states that's been out here. Right. And he was the first person out of everyone here to say, I've literally been actively opposing the convention of states. We do email blasts against convention of states. Everyone else, had, they're like, oh, well, we have this fear of it. But he's the only one actually actively campaigning against it. Right. And what was crazy about it was... He would have never told me that if I didn't stop and talk to him. Right. He would have let me promote Convention of States to people and just like let me have my view without ever stepping in. Right. And it was just it was an amazing experience to it's, talk to these people that It's but, almost Daryl like a two-way dialogue is a healthy thing. Exactly. It's, <laughs> right. it's it's crazy. It's a beautiful thing, beautiful thing. And I like I said, I don't ever want to miss another convention because this has been one of the greatest experiences of my life. How often do you get to go to a, an event where you are full of uh, a room full of libertarians like i think for most of us we're isolated we're on an island so when you go to a pork fest and you hear someone say ron paul because everybody's talking about ron paul and the gold standard and crypto like your ears perk up because you're so used to like that's one of my people 
But when you're here, it's great because you're in. You're immersed in uh, people who share your ideology. I, I I made a joke. I said the only reason libertarians are here is because this is the only time we can literally preach to the choir and be happy about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, you don't have to actually argue anyone against your position. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so nice. Uh, so I'm really glad you've had a great time. Uh, I, I really like when because. I think f for me, I, I'm an old timer, and I was talking to Eris Stewart, young 18-year-old, first convention. She's having the time of her life. And I'm like, eh. She's like all engaged in the politics and the chairs race and all that. And I'm like, eh, I'm just here to like shitpost and talk to people <laughs> and the old friends. And so it's nice to hear people come to the convention and like look forward to it and want to do it again and get involved. So yeah, so I'm really glad you had a great time. I am. And I'm, I think next time, if we can get a little bit more organized, I'd like to participate in a lot of the bylaws debates and the grammar not seeing that's going on up here to make the <laughs> they had an hour long. They had an hour long debate today about whether or not uh, w whether one of the bylaws should have a the sex worker bylaw the platform yeah. position should be people or adults and it was like we're arguing over a word <laughs> so. it was almost like the the first day where we were arguing over in america <laughs> right all right well we got to wrap up because this thing's about to this thing's about to kick oh, off Oh, thank you for having me all on right Chris thanks Pringle. man Th thanks for being on daryl i am talking quietly because i'm sitting in the airport and i don't want people to think i'm a weirdo well i don't want people to know i'm a weirdo uh just uh, watching the vice chair's uh, second ballot, as predicted, Joe Houtman and Sam Goldstein, two boomer Hoosiers, uh, ran in the vice chair's race, and they're splitting each other's vote. And Alex Merced is uh, ahead, forty-four percent. But you got to get to fifty plus one percent, and until uh, it's. It'll be close, but uh, I'm uh, in the Atlanta airport, just ate some subpar barbecue, waiting for my connection back to Indianapolis on the final morning of the convention. I I messed up. I should have come in Friday night and then left on the 4th of July, but uh, I only gave myself a couple days uh, because that's when the cheapest flights were, but otherwise it was going to be super expensive to fly, but I should have... Uh, spent more time at the convention. I wish I could have spent more time with people, but it was really uh, an enjoyable convention. It was... Man, I think... It, I, I'll give my thoughts after this, because one of the people that I really enjoyed talking to this weekend and catching up with was my buddy Travis Irvine. Travis lives in Ohio, which if you don't know geography, is right next to Indiana. And uh, we got... We, we worked together sometimes as... as uh, well, we worked together sometimes as state parties back when I was the executive director, and I got to know Irvis, uh, Irving uh, pretty well over the last couple of years because he's come through Indy with you know, Gary Johnson's tour and, and some other stuff, and he's a movie maker, and he's running for the governor of Ohio, and he explains why that is an important race and what he's doing, and then also kind of compares this convention to previous conventions. So without further ado, here's Travis and I. All right, I'm here with Travis Irvine. You are running for governor of Ohio. Uh, we, spoke to, we spoke to you previously because you have a great documentary about running for mayor. Uh, what's the name of it? It is called American Mayor. It's on Amazon Prime. 
And uh, yeah, we that was great talking to you last fall when it first came out. That was all about um, getting millennials to run for office. That was my first race, and I got five percent in the race. Uh, we raised about twelve hundred dollars. We had two hundred votes, um, but uh, I did not come in last place. I got sixth place out of eight people, and of course. Um, the thing I was most proud about is that I became friends with the guy who did become mayor and all the, the policies I was talking about it ended up getting uh, enacted by city council and the new city government. So That's awesome. Uh, is it still on Amazon Prime? Oh, yeah. It'll be on there for a while. We get like 25 cents every month just because people keep watching it. So I tell people, please <clears throat> just watch it uh, and leave it on on loop while you go to work all day. And then, uh, then I get like 30 cents. <laughs> yes, help a brother out. So you have you mentioned I don't know if it was on or off air at this point uh, that you might be considering a run for governor of Ohio. Why did you decide to run for uh, that office? Well, um, to be quite honest, I was asked to do it by fellow uh, Libertarian Party of Ohio activists. Um, we've been put in a tight spot. I think we talked about it uh, the last time I was on. Um, the ballot access laws that we have in Ohio are extremely restrictive. Um, and that only happened because the Libertarian Party of Ohio was one of the best operating Libertarian uh, uh, par- state parties in the country. As of 2010, when we ran a full slate of candidates, state reps, uh multiple congressional house uh, districts um, and we really had it together in 2012 we were one of Gary Johnson's favorite states to go campaign in and I would emcee his rallies there in Cincinnati and Cleveland um, and then so the Republicans saw us as a threat and in 2013-14 they removed us from the ballot uh, with a, a, a new bill called SB 193 which was all about minor party ballot access laws and that requires a minor party to get 3% in a presidential or gubernatorial race uh, to retain ballot access for four years so they changed the rules, they'd always tried to do it with the Secretary of State but <clears throat> they, we, we would sue them in court and we would win because the Secretary of State is not a legislative body so finally they have a supermajority in the uh, Ohio Assembly, so they rammed through this legislation, Kasich signed in a heartbeat, and um, that's what we've been facing since 2014 is basically, uh, we have not been on the ballot, we have not been a registered political party in Ohio since 2014, because they saw how popular we were getting in 2010 and and, and 2012. So uh, because of this, uh, I have to get 3% in this uh, gubernatorial race. And they asked me to do it because I've run for office twice before. I've run, again, ran for mayor in my hometown, got 5% there. One of my commercials got on Jay Leno. We made the documentary. I'm all about national earned media. That's what I, I do best. Uh, when I ran for Congress, uh, of course, in 2010, I got the Patrick Henry Award here from the Libertarian Party because uh, that year, just running for Congress, I got 4% of the vote. And our uh, campaign ad, Give the Two-Party System the Third fi- uh, the third Finger, went viral. And uh, we got on PBS, we got on CNN. So I'm basically, I can meet the minimums that we need. I like to do even more if we can. we got to raise a lot of money if we can do it. But national earned media is something I can do. And that's, you know, that's free, that's free press, basically. What's the third middle finger? The third finger. Oh, my God. So this campaign ad we had in, in 2010 was give the two-party system the third finger. And it's all about giving the ring finger to the camera. We have multiple voters doing it, saying how the two-party system let them down. And this ad, it, it went viral with the libertarian uh, movement, obviously. But 
it was really cool. The night before the election, Anderson Cooper played it on his show, um, on a segment about campaign commercials and PBS NewsHour uh, put it on their show. And they even said it was one of the more clever ads of the campaign season in 2010. So that was a big um, surprise for us, but it was like a big victory because we were basically taking the libertarian ideas and making them mainstream, which is something, you, you know, you and I have talked about uh, spreading the ideas outside of the convention hall, outside of libertarian circles. Uh, and just kind of putting ourselves out there. So it was very popular, and uh, it was an honor to win the Pen- Patrick Henry Award for it, too. Yeah, you were, by trade, a uh, movie maker. You, you were telling us about a movie that you're working on right now that is very funny, uh, but also uh, I'm sure it's a serious film. But, yeah, you're a very talented person who's a comedian, who is a movie maker, who you, you're just a very creative person. Uh, and how does that inform how you run for office? Uh, that's a, a, a great point. Yeah, my creative endeavors allow me, I think, to bring more to running for office than the, the typical politician. Um, and, and I think it's the same with a lot of libertarians. We bring creativity to this. You know, we have to be creative because um, we're already so far behind in, in fundraising and, and polling and things like that that we we don't have anything to lose except the election. So we, we go all out. We get bold with it. We share our message. We force the other two mainstream candidates to talk about issues that we want to talk about. I mean, that's always, even that can be a victory, you know, with the movie American Mayor. Um, you know, if anything, my me running for mayor forced everyone to recognize the problem that my, my neighbors were dealing with. So that's, uh, I like bringing the, bringing the creativity to it because it is fun to kind of have fun with it, but also be uh, genuine in your approach and with the issues that, that you want to talk about. So that's what we're going to do in Ohio this year as well. You know, legalizing marijuana in Ohio is polling 60, 70 percent. We, we're supposed to get medical this fall, but the Republicans have screwed it up so badly with overregulation and, and overtaxing. And it, it's a it's a it's a real mess in Ohio on that front. So legalizing marijuana is going to be on the ballot in 2019. Uh, we are legally coordinating, of course, um, with uh, that campaign because we have uh, the same interests. But, you know, talking about issues about, like, legalizing marijuana, criminal justice reform, um, uh, you know, protecting the Second Amendment, these are things that are going to pull the Republican voters who don't like the mainstream Republican candidate, Mike DeWine, and Democrat voters who don't like the mainstream Democrat opponent, um, Richard Cordray. These are the issues that are going to pull them into our camp. You know, that's why I've always loved about libertarians. We have something for everybody and then also like nothing for nobody. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the number one thing that I heard from first time delegates that they love the libertarian party because they love the intellectual diversity of this place. Right. And if I could comment further on that, I think that's what's so exciting for me is that at our libertarian party of Ohio state convention back in May, where I got the nomination, um, two thirds of the people there were brand new. I had never met them or, or anything. You know, I've been involved with this movement in ten years, um, for ten years, and um, I've seen a lot of people come and go. You know, people get activist fatigue. They work too hard. They tire out. They they bow out. And um, what's nice for me is that with my campaign, I'm kind of unifying some of the old factions that we used to have, but we're bringing in all these new people too. And I think that's honestly a big credit to 2016, you know, Trump versus Hillary and and Gary Johnson, Bill Weld really provided just kind of a sane, uh, you know, alternative. And I think people are really getting drawn into our party at this point. So, uh, you see it in Ohio, we got a bunch of new people and you see it here at the national convention, there's a bunch of new people. So I think that's the most exciting part is that we are actually growing, you know, we're not just a 1%, um, debate club (laughs) anymore. We are growing and our ideas are becoming more mainstream. 
Yeah. Uh, so, how many conventions have you been to? Plus, how does this convention compare to some of those others? Wow. Well, um, my first convention was Vegas, 2012. Um, it was a very contentious. Uh, Gary Johnson got the nomination, and his VP uh, Jim Gray, uh, they they got the nomination pretty pretty easily that year. But the chair race and the vice chair race—that's where I saw libertarian politics at its best slash worst, where it, it extended for a day, and then like myself and a bunch of delegates left. So the chair was actually picked with, you know, um, maybe half of the delegates are actually there for most of the convention, and you almost saw the same thing here. Um, uh, you know, I, I think uh, Sarwak is doing a great job. He's very supportive of our ballot access um, things that we're dealing with in Ohio. Um, so I was fine, very fine seeing him get reelected. Um, but now, that, of course, as of this recording, the vice chair race is still undecided because that got pushed a day because <laughs> libertarians are dealing. There's so much slow to anybody can speak from the floor at any time and it delays things by hours. <laughs> Yeah, but I would say that these kids these days, they don't know what a real chair's race is like. I mean, some of those, uh, you know, the Root, Wayne Allen Root, when he ran for chair, and then in St. Louis, and then Mark Rutherford in 2012, and then, uh, like, those were brutal, brutal, uh, because the radicals at that point were half the party, and now they seem to be about 25%, and the radicals that exist still, like... Like, Daryl Perry, I don't know what happened. He used to be, uh, us old guys, you know, like, Daryl Perry used to be just such a flamethrower, and now he's, like, one of the elder statesmen of the party. You, just a wacky young kid just doing all kinds of crazy things, and now you seem like a damn near moderate at this point. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember 2012, because that was, yeah, Mark Rutherford lost by one vote to Noda, and then so after that, it was off to the races from the floor. Poor Joe Coleman went to see her sister and missed the vote. She's from Indiana. She would have voted for Rutherford, and nobody's ever let her live it down. <laughs> but, yeah, I think there is, it is interesting to for those of us who have been involved for around 10 years and, like, thrash are running for chair. It's interesting to kind of see millennials start to become part of, I don't want to say the power structure, but the leadership structure in some ways. I'm, I'm not in the leadership structure in, in the party. You're not in necessarily the national political party but you know it is sort of a weird feeling to be older at this convention now yeah well we're older we're still millennials but we're the older millennials um but i I, yeah i I think it's good you're right they don't remember some of the things that we've gone through you know the trenches of 2012 and 2014 i mean even starwalk and arvin winning in 2014 was you know those i think rutherford and goldstein were running again that year out out of your state indiana um and and 2016 you know, the big contentious thing in 2016 was the Bill Weld VP nomination, which he barely skirted by on the second ballot. Um, so I think this year there's actually, honestly, even with how contentious some of the races got and the debates certainly got contentious on an inner, you know, an, an inner level. Um, I think there's some congeniality here. You know, I was just down at the gala, uh, which is the big closing night gala. And uh, I think everybody's in a good mood. Everybody's feeling positive. Everybody's in like a, in good spirits. And I think that's great because, you know, I remember 2016, there was still bad blood after Gary and Bill Weld got the nomination. People left the convention having all these afterthoughts and people try to sabotage things when they could in the months ahead. But I think everyone's feeling pretty positive. I think we're starting to realize there's a place for everybody here. You know, because where else are we going to go? You know, we, we all agree on enough things that we can make this work. Yeah, when the libertarian socialist is up there and everybody go- goes, meh, 
he doesn't seem that bad. Like, I kind of see what he's saying. Like, I, yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, so what what are ways that people could help your campaign if they want to get involved and, and help uh, you win the governorship? Uh, it's pretty simple. Um, we need to raise about $100,000 to meet our minimum vote count. That's a dollar per vote, uh, so 100,000 votes. So uh, if you're a Bitcoin person, if you're a rich person and you listen to Chris's podcast, um, you can donate up to $12,000 uh, and some change to our race if, if you have it. If not, small donations definitely work, so we're trying to raise money. All that does is uh, allows me to put our, our message in the media, basically on radio, uh, put it on TV. That's all i've ever done right before in, in 2010 and that's how we get people onto our side so um our messaging is already there we just need money to get it out there so that's a way you can help otherwise if you live in ohio or if you don't have anything going on in the next few months you want to volunteer you want to come on board irvineforohio.com that's a place to find us um and you know we need all the help we can get this is a very important race the lp national has put two hundred thousand dollars into this ballot access drive that we just completed today we turned in over ninety thousand raw signatures Way more than the valid amount that we need um, of, of of 55. I think we turned in about 60-some thousand valid signatures. So this is a big deal for the LP, and it's now on my shoulders to get that minimum, again, a 3%. Um, but I, I hate being that guy going around, kind of like Gary did in, in 2016. We need this. We need 5%. We want to do even better than that. And I think we, we will absolutely do better than that because Mike DeWine, the Republican, is very unpopular. Rich Cordray, the Democrat, is very boring. Uh, this is where I can shine. I'm, I'm good in debates. I'm good in media. I'm good at getting our message out there. So I think we can really shake it up. All right. The Larry Sharp of the Midwest. <laughs> That's what you know, I wish I was that cool. <laughs> All right. Well, you are cool. We're, we're getting ready to go see one of your comedy shows, so we're going to wrap it up. So, Travis Irvine, thanks. And what is your web address? Uh, Irvineforohio.com. You can find me on Twitter, Travis Irvine, USA. I've got the same Twitter strategy as Sarah Palin and Jim Webb, so I think I'm doing pretty good. Uh, so, I'm in the air, and I'm playing my game, uh, Kingdom Rush, just kind of chilling. I had just finished a movie. Uh, I think it was called Longest Day. I think it was Longest Day about World War One, and it was like I was so mad because of how stupid World War One is. Like it's just the uh, it's so maddening. Not just how, why it began, how it was operated, the uh, the casualties, needless casualties, and the the film just captures it so perfectly. And you're just I was just so mad. And so that had just ended, and I didn't put it in airplane mode, and then all of a sudden I get text messages popping up as we're flying probably over Bloomington, Indiana, and it says, Mary Ruart just nominated you for National Libertarian Convention, and then my internet stopped again until I landed in Indianapolis, and so I am on the plane for like five, ten minutes in the air with no connection going what? <laughs> now what I didn't know is 50 people ended up getting nominated, uh, and I landed and my phone just blew up and it was 20 people. I'm not even kidding. 20 people, Mark Claire, uh, Frank Rossa from Indiana, uh, Jared Hall from Indiana, uh, you know, Christy Avery, a bunch of friends going, Hey, did you realize you were running for national libertarian committee, the committee at large, uh, to be a member of the body? I was like, no. Uh, <laughs> so I had no clue that this had happened. So for, uh, as you heard, Nick basically asked her and I was like, I never, I never even talked to Mary. I didn't get a chance to say hi. She was busy. What is she doing? So I messaged her. I asked Jared and a few others to like 
talk to Mary, maybe grab Evan McMahon, who's a friend of mine who knows everybody. Like, can you talk to Mary? Because Evan's obviously he won the chairs race for Nick Sarwark. And uh, Evan and I have worked together for years on various political campaigns, and I know what political acumen he has. Because, like, for my calculation, like, I have a great deal of respect for Mary, and I know that Mary just walked up and told the body that I had agreed to be a delegate. And so she and I never talked about it. And so I didn't want her to look bad in any way because, you know, so how do we get out of this with her saving face? Because clearly this is a mistake. I don't want to be on the National Libertarian Commission Committee. I don't think my membership is even renewed. I, I did not, I purposely was not a delegate to the convention because I don't feel that you can cover something uh, and be a delegate at the same time. I think, you know, when you're talking to people and you're trying to be fair, you know, if you if you have the press badge and then delegate tags hanging off of it, you know, there's an inherent conflict there where, you know, uh, Matt or Josh or Nick or any of these guys are trying to get your vote as well as talk. So you just don't you just don't do that. So you, you have to have some separation. So I definitely would not want to be on the committee because you cannot be a member of Wayne Allen Root proved this. You cannot be a member of a political party uh, and also be a political commentator. You just cannot do both because you're elected and entrusted by delegates to be their voice to execute the things that they wish they've put their trust in you and if you are going on your podcast or fox news and wayne allen root's case and you're praising mitt romney or other republicans or Rand paul even then members have every right to be upset at you you know and nor do i want this program to be a mouthpiece for the libertarian party in any way shape or form i talk about the libertarian party uh, and that's because no one really gives them the coverage that I think our audience really does want. They want to understand the Libertarian Party, and nobody covers it. You know, Matt Welch was the only legitimate media there other than podcasts. You know, not, not that being Libertarian and Lions of Liberty and We Are Libertarians aren't legitimate news outlets in some ways, but, you know, we're, like, Matt Welch is classically trained as a journalist, for instance. So... Um, you know, and I saw Ron Nielsen's Jack News, uh, there, but that's a mouthpiece for Ron Nielsen, um, to be quite honest. And, uh, so I don't want to be a mouthpiece for anyone. I want to share with you what I observe based on my years of experience and the, the knowledge and study that, that I put into this and, uh, to give you a perception. And so you can take that and do with it what you will. Uh, and I think as listeners, if I were on the National Libertarian Committee, I think that would be that would be a problem. So uh, I'm just I'm, I wasn't panicked, but I was like, this is a big mistake. Like, what ha what is going on? Uh, and finally, somebody got a hold of Mary and she goes, oh, no, I met Chris Thrasher, who ran for chair. Now, Thrasher and I have known each other a long time. Let's just say that. Chris and I are both white males around the same age and of larger carriage. And I could see how you could get uh, a, a portly white male libertarian confused when you're at one of our conventions because there's so many of us. Uh, and so it was just a, it was a, 
you know, after four days in, you're pretty tired and it was just a mistake. And she, I know she feels like she felt bad. And I was like, no, it's totally, I totally get it. I don't care. I'm sure Thrasher doesn't care. It's totally fine. But you little turds. <laughs> like, so uh, somebody, Michael Schulteis, resubmitted my name for nomination and after that was struck, thank you, Nick, uh, somebody went up again and was going to try and put my name in, and multiple people were going to put my name in again and again and again, and if that didn't work, use me as a write-in, just to troll me. Now, listen, you know I love trolling, but respect the process. <laughs> <laughs> don't use don't use these means to troll because these are not the right uh this is not the right way to troll this is what the audacious caucus does and we don't want to be them but uh i respect it and i was cracking up on the airplane and i know a lot of other people thought it was funny uh so that was bad things happen to people who are co-hosts on wall and they, and they get on airplanes and then they land. And then it's like, what happened while I was in the air? It's like our own Janine Sacco moment. So, so with that, I want to close out this show and, uh, I, I didn't, I did my outro. And so I'm going to go to that. Uh, I mentioned the vice chair's race is still going on. Alex Merced ended up winning vice chair. Um, and so, you know, congratulations to a fellow libertarian podcaster. I've been on Alex's show. Uh, he's a very, very sweet human being. He's a very nice person and very sincere and dedicated and has a lot of skills. And so I'm sure he'll do fine at that role. Uh, and yeah, so now let's let's travel back in time together to the end of this episode. All right, I'm still waiting, uh, but I edited this uh on the plane to Atlanta and now I want to finish the episode editing it up so I can get it out quick for you guys to hear um, so I'm uh, going to finish editing on the flight back to Indianapolis and then post once I get home and hope you enjoyed it I really enjoyed talking to a lot of different people especially uh, the people that I did not intend to interview but it just sort of worked out that way you know you heard us sitting around and like there's TJ and then there's Arvin and we decided to have a conversation with them, and uh, I think we walked away. I don't know about you as listeners. I'd love for you to email us at editor at wearelibertarians.com um, and give us your thoughts on especially Matt, Arvin, and TJ, because those are people who are lightning rods in the party and don't often get heard by this audience uh, because generally I think the things they do are stupid. <laughs> and they've become a, a, a kind of a punchline in the party. I was trying to track down James Weeks, but uh, we, had to, we had to bounce. I, I didn't eat for like 12 hours yesterday. And then we finally got down to the French Quarter to eat around 10, and everything closes except for, you know, bars. So all the restaurants had closed by 10 p.m. in the French Quarter in New Orleans, so I don't know what that's about, but um, overall, I am I was not terribly impressed with New Orleans. I thought it was... Uh, my mom basically said, like, here's what New Orleans is. It smells like garbage, and you get attacked by homeless people. That's exactly what happened. As I was at breakfast yesterday morning, we got out, uh, me and my friend, we got out and we parked, and then we paid at the meter, and there was a homeless guy helping us, and then, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to give him any cash, and so I gave him three bottles of water, and he was so mad. 
and basically harassed us and kept coming in the restaurant and cursing at us. And so the restaurant called the cops and uh, I started the day talking to the cops. Uh, getting yelled at by a homeless man who was standing next to a trash can on the sidewalk uh, in, in a street that smelled like pee. It was a pretty uh, standard New Orleans experience, I think. So, uh, But, you know, I didn't really get to leave the convention. The thing about coming to conventions is that you don't really leave the hall ever. You just kind of stay at the convention. But that's that's okay because it's the the point of going to a convention as you heard from those first time delegates is really to like catch up with people meet new people network you know the the elections are always important and fun but really it's all about the people that you meet there and that you talk to so it was a, a good convention um you know a couple notes i think there were several people who came into this convention as lightning rods and left uh looking a little better i think matt Neil, who we entered—I'm uh, so sorry, Matt—who uh, we interviewed earlier ended up looking good to a lot of people. James Weeks, surprisingly, the naked dancer. Uh, every time he got up on stage, everybody was watching him, and as a result, you know, because he behaved like an adult, he he came out looking pretty decent uh, <laughs> because of the low expectations that people had for both of these two. Um, you know, Nick Sarwark came out, I think, for the people that I talked to looking a lot better. Uh, he, you know, w- was seen as a little divisive because of his snarky, snarky comments. But, listen, here's the thing. People, Arvin had a point in that. People like the contention. They like the bombast. They like that, uh, that, that pro-wrestling style of politics. And Nick is liked because of the drinking the liberal tears, your tears are delicious type comments by libertarians it's just when he turns that inward that people get real pissed at him and uh and I, he and i actually talked about that but uh, not, not me lecturing him but like you know it's it's just how it is it's it's kind of like you're damned if you do if you're damned if you don't if you're in leadership in any political party but especially the libertarian party you know you um you just have to be careful about turning that stuff inward it's over the next two years nick please uh so <laughs> Uh, Larry Sharp, I think, didn't have a great convention. Uh, Larry Sharp, obviously, who we have jokingly called Libertarian Black Jesus because of the cult that has been formed around Larry. And it's, it, the cult status is not deserved, but the, the praise that Larry gets certainly is deserved. He's an excellent speaker. He's an excellent messenger. And he's really the first very prominent Libertarian that I can think of that came up through the grassroots. You know, prominent libertarians like, let's say, Gary Johnson switched, you know. So these people with uh, a lot of um, outer, like, uh, notoriety from outside the libertarian movement usually come from the Republican or Democratic, or, well, let's just be honest, the Republican Party. Um, and Larry is the first one who kind of came up the ranks, you know, in 2012 or 2016 had this great race for the vice presidential slot, losing to Build Weld, but capturing the hearts and minds he was really the biggest winner of that convention and then he translated that into a run for governor and in new york and he's doing gangbusters with it and uh you know he was on the lnc and then he uh ended up quitting ultimately after arvin vora wasn't removed uh from vice chair because basically the lnc and the chairman, Nick Sarwark, said, we're two months from convention. Let's just let the delegates handle it instead of having this contentious vote. 
And Arvin is not going to make it to the fourth ballot. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Uh, if he hasn't already dropped out as I'm recording this. Um, you know, so we dropped off of that and nobody really cared. And then came to convention and he endorsed Joshua Smith uh, for chair. And in New York, there were 22 out of 33 delegates that went for Nick Sarwark. So even in his home state, you know, his endorsement didn't carry a lot of weight with his his closest allies. Uh, now, does that really m- mean a lot? No, I don't think so. Uh, because if he ever go- decides to run for president, I don't think a lot of delegates are going to hold, uh, you know, his endorsement of Smith uh, against him. Um, but, uh, you know... It, it shows his power may not be as absolute as the internet says it is. Uh, I think another big winner of this was Josh Smith. I think even though he lost the chair's race, um, both he uh, and uh, Larry Sharp both have brought a tremendous amount of pe- new people to the party. And I think uh, Michael Ice, the head of the Mises Caucus, is a big winner too. And I, and I hope that he sticks around, even though he's kind of rumbling. Uh, some people say he might not. You know, I talked to so many new people who were there because of the Mises Caucus and uh, and including, you know, people like Tom Woods. I mean, people from the Mises crowd, as we've talked about on previous episodes, people from the Mises crowd are not fans of the Libertarian Party because of the Rothbard versus Cato split in 1983, where basically the Koch brothers and Rothbard had a falling out and it was really rough and... There's been a split in the party between these two crowds, you know, and Michael Heiss said, let's change that. Had this kick-ass party on Friday. I think it was Friday. No, Saturday, maybe. And uh, basically, Tom Woods came and spoke, and uh, along with several others. And, you know, I never would have thought Tom Woods would come to a Libertarian Party convention, and I hope that he enjoyed it. And that's really the biggest takeaway that I have from this. So, you know, besides the new people that were com- that came to the convention because of Joshua and Michael and their efforts, which they should be highly commended for, um, the uh, the tenor of the convention leading up to it seemed toxic. The chairs debate seemed toxic, but you know, as you heard Travis saying, you know, we're not leaving with scars from this convention. You know, there's there's. You know, even the people that I have personally uh, disliked, uh, I ended up talking to and and, and enjoyed my conversations with them. I, I don't agree uh, in a lot of what Arvin said specifically, um, but I think that's part of the point of all this, is you get together with people, you talk face-to-face, you come to uh, understand each other a little bit better, and everybody walks away going, yeah... We're united, let's work together. You see that in every other political party as well. Usually you come out of a convention united and everybody's ready to work for the candidates that got selected. Uh, And this ended up, after the race ended, being a fairly non-contentious race. You know, uh, Joshua was was around the rest of the day talking to people. Uh, Chris Thrasher was around the rest of the day talking to people. Um, both, you know, and, and even James Weeks, who ran for chair and did, didn't win. And, and everybody stuck around and was having conversations with the delegates. So I, um, I, I felt like this was a very healthy convention 
because there seemed to be a lot of toxicity leading up to it, and a lot of that seems to have dissipated. Now, give it three months, <laughs> but I think there were personal relationships. I, you know, I saw, uh, you know, the, the audacious caucus. Those are the Liberty Hangout and the Libertarian Socialists and all these, you know, the right and the left uh, extremes of the party coming together in some aspects. So, and having conversations. Uh, uh, you know, T.J. Roberts of Liberty Hangout, who has been, his publication has been aggressively anti-LP, was there. So, you know, I think it ended up being a really good convention for that reason. So, um, and I think you heard that in some of the, the conversations that we had with some of the other first-time delegates. So, anyways, I am about to board my plane uh, here in just a few moments. So I appreciate you listening. I appreciate all of the Patreon supporters that sent me, uh, especially you know Todd Singer, Jason Doolittle, Craig DaCosta, um, Brandon Luke, you know, our, and Christy Avery, our one hundred dollar a month Patreon subscribers. Uh, you guys really made this possible. And so if uh, you know, and people like Ryan, Jeff Mata, uh, and Michael Schulteis, Rick Irvine, and his wife. I don't know if she wants her name on the air. I appreciate them, you know, being Patreon supporters, and it was fun to hang out with uh, some of those folks at the convention, Reinhold as well, um, and Paul Copeland. Can't leave Paul out. Big special thanks to Paul Copeland for he and his dad hauled down all of our equipment, hauled down all of the uh, uh, the banners and all that, all the books that we gave out for free. So I appreciate Paul doing that, serving the empire so greatly. Uh, you know, Kristen, who you heard earlier, was just a big help to me this weekend, and I appreciate that. Uh, and so thanks to everybody who made this trip possible for We Are Libertarians. And I uh, hope that you enjoyed this. If you uh, are so inclined, please share it. And if there's any conversation that you'd like to have around it, please get in the Facebook group at wearelibertarians.com or the Discord and chat us up. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will see you in just a few days.